As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Sports Remap Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people with lives dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly refer to as sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I start off every episode with a new question. Bodice is a shoe-in, but what other F1 driver would make a great cyclist? Rano from Callan, Estonia? Yes, very hyped to hear y'all discuss recycling. Uh, yeah, damn. Botas would have been the go-to because he is currently, I think, partnered with a cyclist. Uh, so he does a ton of cycling as recreation. But here's the thing. I think a lot of F1 drivers, there's been crossover in the cycling world. Like, it's something a lot of them do. Before the season, Lance Stroll uh, actually, like, wrecked his wrist doing, like, uh, like conditioning on a bike uh and like hit a pothole and uh, wiped out and and hurt his arm so i think like this is something that a lot of a lot of f1 drivers have done recreationally of the dudes like currently on the grid who i could see being like really good at it i don't know like danny for me like nico hulkenberg i think has like cyclist energy a a little bit but that could just be he's like a really athletic looking dude yeah, I, I, sorry, I got confused. I'm speaking to Rob on a, a bet Formula One, but Patrick Klepek is there <laughs> instead of Drew. It kind of threw me for a second. Um, I think Jensen Button used to do a lot of Ironman yeah. in between the races. And obviously, I'm a current driver, so that's that's a tricky one. But probably JB. I bet Alonso does a lot as well. I don't think Lewis does. I don't no. think he cycles. No. We're on first name basis with F1 drivers, Patrick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I said, because um, I didn't look this up ahead of time, but I said Bodice, but you were saying Bodice, so like more like Hotas, right? Botas. Yeah. Like if, yeah, that, if, that, if I'm remembering it in my here's head. Here's the problem it. with all of this. <laughs> yeah. So okay. in, in F1, you got all these like names from other countries that are mm-hmm. then being routed through. There's how those names are pronounced in those countries, like pe- people speaking the native language. Yes. And then all the commentary is it tends to be dominated by 
people from the UK. And so they sort of throw, they put a little like literal English on it when they pronounce it. And so like pronunciation is kind of one of those, one of those tricky things that ebbs and flows. Like uh, there's a driver named uh, Charles Leclerc. He's from Monaco. <laughs> Monaco's at this intersection between France, Italy, but it's also an international like uh, playground. And so English is kind of the uh, you know common language there as well. He pronounces his name differently depending what language he is speaking. If he is speaking to English press, he says, "My name is Charles Leclerc." If he is speaking to French press, he says, "My name is Charles Leclerc." Charles Leclerc. Charles yeah. Leclerc. Well, because I, I guess that at the like that's almost like a concession to like look i'd rather you just say a name and we're consistent rather than butchering your way through the french like an attempted <laughs> french pronunciation is that thus is that really like is that unique amongst uh sort of participants or like like athletes where they've decided to like have these two specific lanes or does everyone just sort of agree upon look whatever the uk announcers say that's cool for us other english speaking like commentators and observers to just follow their lead yeah, I, I, well, Charles, like, like Charles is the only one I've heard do that. That, like, that's okay. an unusual one where he's like, "Nope, if I'm speaking this language, here's how I say it." Uh, that's that's an unusual move, but I, I do think it's kind of a a live and let live thing. And if you're around the sport long enough, eventually people do figure out like this is probably how I want to say this 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 word. Uh, well, we 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 uh, you already heard uh, him talking. We've already confused him by uh, mixing up the kinds of people <laughs> that are talking about the sports that he's already talking about. Uh, but Daniel Dwyer, founder of uh, NoClip, seven years running. I looked I this know. up on your LinkedIn just so I could figure out. Like, yeah, I think it's been something. It's like you're closer to a decade than than you're not. Yeah, it's terrifying. I've been there. Uh, it'll be seven years on September twelfth is when we uh, started back in twenty sixteen. Uh, which feels too far, and also it's just the COVID years to always have that weird compression element to them. Um, but yeah, still doing it. It's weird to be have been doing this longer than I was working at GameSpot. That's I was only I think I was five years at GameSpot. So it gives is, me confidence, though, because like yeah. we're, we're just at the beginning of this journey, and like it would take me a long time to beat out because with with Waypoint, we're on, I was almost at seven years. I was right. On, the cusp that, of seven years, um, and so if I'm if I'm so blessed or cursed to to do this for 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 seven years to beat it, but you're you show a path where it's like you can go and do it off on your own and the crowdfunding thing, and like you can get some consistency and re- reliability long enough to do it this long. Totally, I honestly I look at you guys working within like trying to like keep a media uh, publication within the corporate landscape, which uh, treats its employees well and has like people working for years and years at the same spot to me that's the trick like that's obviously you know it's it's uh something that also had uh you know it's a half-life to it but like you know to me that's way harder you guys are going to be this is going to be easy comparatively uh, (laughs) we are not burdened with like executives above us who are just like looting the company behind our backs like (laughs) you don't have the the gaslight situation of looking around and being like, why is everything so fucked up all of a sudden? And you find out years later, uh, you know, in the wake of your layoff that like the four or five people who sent you the smarmiest fucking emails every week about like, hey, team, let's be mindful as we get ready to engage with innovative (laughs) content ideas uh, in this changing media landscape. We're not sure about this whole travel thing. Well, at the same time, one of our like, you know, longtime favorites at Motherboard, uh, Joseph Cox, tweeted last night. This is in the midst of 
nobody has gotten severance yet, right? right. Like also, like so, the people, and I would not be laughing about this if I did not have the remap situation. Like that's that's one hundred percent like money coming in. The lights on. Yes, we can. Yes, but uh, Joseph writes uh, wrote last night today. Vice, I was unable to pull a court record, which cost ten cents because the company isn't paying bills. Meanwhile, so many execs, some which uh, led Vice to bankruptcy, made seven hundred to nine hundred thousand, including bonuses at the time. Vice laid off much cheaper workers. <laughs> my hand oh up. My gosh. Uh, it's, it's worse than I than I thought. And like that is, I think that's the thing that we are for as nervous as we were getting over the precipice, right? Of like pulling the right. trigger and seeing what the interest was. Like to be at this stage where now it's still a lot of you know we're talking to tax accountants, thinking out corporate like there's a, but like it's all. Good questions to have, and that six months from now we'll just hopefully we'll be, be in a place where we're just yeah. just making making the stuff. But um, it's uh, I don't yeah, like as to Rob's point, to not have that we can, we can make our own fuck ups, Rob. <laughs> Let's fuck up. Well, and like, and the thing is, like, if we screw up, we feel consequences for that. Where, where is <laughs> yeah, like the that's... the thing about that? Like, you know, the thing about media companies, the managers come in, and their entire thing is like. I just need to put in a few years here where it's going to be like I was a media executive for a number of years. And then whatever yeah. happens, however many people die, uh, you can always <laughs> move on to the next place and be like, I'm a seasoned media executive. One of these people burned down like two or three outlets before they got device. They're it's go, crazy. They're going to do more. It's crazy how like incompetent some of these fucking people are. Like, I, I think that was the thing that ultimately when I was leaving GameSpot, I was just I was looking up the chain and seeing like how to wait a second. How what the what tricks do I have to pull to be up there? Because I think a lot of those people don't know what they're doing. Like I'm pretty sure they don't know what they're doing. Well, they don't know what you're doing. No, 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 no. Because otherwise, you would like to believe they couldn't sleep at night. They have to be telling themselves like they have to be so blissfully unaware of the consequences of their actions. Or I guess I guess they're all sociopaths. But I suppose like both things can 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 like be be true. But um, I feel like this is actually like a wonderful lead in to some follow up, uh, which is we had a question recently on the podcast in which uh, it was proposed to Rob and I. uh, What would it be like if there was some sort of equivalent of the Olympics or just in sports in general where we weren't so worried about. Uh, you know, uh, sort of like enhancements, drugs, uh, sort of thing. This is in the context of things like uh, the the MLB, uh, like and like looking at sticky hands and, and things like that that we've seen <laughs> recently. And then right on the the back, we were like, I don't really know what that would look like, and it seems like it would lead to a lot of people dying, probably. And then just like dropped dropped in front of us was the announcement of the enhanced games uh which according to their website is quote the enhanced games is organizing an alternative to the corrupt olympic games oh we believe that science makes humanity and sports better and fairer sports without drug testing which is just a killer i'm sure market tested line like all right what are the people do the people here these couple of lines the one they like the most is sports without drug testing. It's a great way of like of making they're they're trying to sell the the morality of it, you know, but uh-huh. but saying like sports without drug testing is a better way of saying sports but everyone's pumped full of drugs. You know, <laughs> yes. it's it's like it's hey, it's your choice if you want to do the drugs or not. You know, you can be clean and be in the enhanced games, but you loser, you you <laughs> like against in the advancement of humanity. Uh, well, it's basically it, what it's, Major League Baseball did for a number of years. Hey, if you want to stay clean, that's great. We're going to be over here having a little <laughs> season long home run derby, though. It's going to be great. Everyone's invited. 
<laughs> it was fun to watch, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tiny little incubator of like uh, uh, of something like that. It's like, oh, wow. It was kind of watch- sick watching those juice dudes just <laughs> banging balls over and over. It's, Barry, it's, Barry it's, Bonds like I, still, still not in the Hall of Fame, though, right? No, no, and it seems sort of it seems sort of silly, um, right? Like, like, cause Hall of Fame is a like, there's no specific metric, right? It's just right. Are you what do you, what do you think? Uh, right, and so frequently, you know, a lot of the times, folks that don't make it to the Hall of Fame, they may have quote unquote the stats, but like maybe they were an asshole, right? And then <laughs> right. As a, like, because you know, because a lot of times, the who's voting these these bodies in is not like, hey, we've hired an analytics firm. To come up with some standards um, and that alongside, you know, like cultural context, like this is how you get in. It's like, no, like if this dude was a prick to you while you were a beat writer for 35 years, ah. no, I, I don't think that guy should be in the in the Hall of Fame. Um, isn't, and, isn't Schilling in the Hall of Fame? I think. I don't know where we ended up on. Did he squeak in before uh, before the fall of the, the, the tax money and the... Um, and just a general right wing shit. Nope, I was dreaming. Looks like doing. he is not in it. Oh, he didn't get in. Oh, nope. There you go. Um, and, and yeah, that's a that's a quintessential example, right? Like, w- at what point? You know, it is a it's a made up reason to put people on a on a pedestal. And it's like, at mm. what point? Like, how how do we? How can well, we or should we separate those like contexts from the the athletes? And maybe we shouldn't, but it's, it makes it like off feel awfully silly sometimes. It's like, oh yeah, he was a real dirtbag, but. I mean, he was incredibly good at the sport. <laughs> well, the thing, a, a case that was made, um, you know, I, I heard Bomani Jones making this case a couple years ago on, on his podcast, speaking specifically about Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, the thing that makes his case really not even tricky, probably should clarify it a bit. Barry Bonds was on a Hall of Fame trajectory before he started juicing, is the thing. Like, he is in the steroid era, and yeah. he was an elite level player before he started taking anything. And then basically, as everyone now begins to catch up and surpass him by various metrics uh, because ah. they're taking substances and no, there appears to be no enforcement in that, Bond starts doing it too. And what do you know now that like, you know, he was a better player as a baseline taking drugs mm. becomes <laughs> an even better player than the rest of his contemporaries also taking taking drugs and so amasses the these incredible stats, but also becomes kind of the the poster child for for the steroid era, um, and ends up kind of being getting screwed by this. Like Jones's argument was, this is what happens when you don't keep your sport clean: is you disadvantage your legitimate stars. Yeah. Because what are they supposed to do? Like, do they, you know, in their in the window of their career with no upshot, do they make the choice to like? walk the straight and narrow while everyone else getting bigger contracts and amassing <laughs> big, bigger stats or do they say like i'm one of the best in this game i am being left behind by people doing these other you know these the sort of outside the lines uh you know pro- procedures i'm gonna do the same fuck it is is there like probably a race element here too where like just the optics of this super big black guy as well is like oh we don't like that we don't like this guy i you know i i think you know, I think with a lot of things like this, there's almost certainly a, a racial element. Like the fact that I've never felt and like I don't think Mark McGuire gets anywhere near the heat that like Bronze right. does, and Sosa's basically persona non grata uh, <laughs> you know, around the Cubs organization. Mark McGuire, everyone's still like, 
what a magic summer. So there, there is a bit of that. All right. Do uh, does the F one does like football have like a hall of hall of fame equivalents? Like, how does it work out in those other sports? I feel like whenever I hear hall of fame, not granted, this is a very American centric uh, yeah. perspective, but I hear it in terms of uh, it's really there's a lot of conversation of that in baseball and football. I'm I know that there's probably an equivalent and is an equivalent in basketball, but it feels like it's so like spoken as in sort of Mount Rushmore terms with, with, with baseball and football specifically, but do like these other like high end sports also have equivalents of a, of a hall of fame. To me, it's always been a very American uh, concept. And Hmm. in my head, I've always wondered if that's because European sports for the longest time came with so much like history already. Like there's sort of a lot of them were like older and like, grounded culturally we'll talk about it with the tour de france stuff grounded culturally and sort of like life in europe whereas i feel like i don't know that was to me sometimes there are these like little artifices of history that pop up in america and that one looks like one to me where it's like oh here's a way we can sort of like formalize the the history and the sort of like uh the culture and the mythos of this sport in a way that but but i as far as i know there's none in soccer i i don't i've never heard of one and there's not if F1's field is kind of too small. Like I feel like in a sport like baseball, a Hall of Fame makes a lot of sense because there's like just thousands of players. And the years um, can't be compared. Like Yeah, the, that's the, true. It's, that's it's true. like F1 has multiple equivalents of like going from the dead ball era. Uh <laughs> yeah, you know, right. it, like that sort of transition happens again and again. Like um, you know, we we did a Patreon episode on a documentary about Juan Manuel Fangio. Uh and he is Patrick. He, he's a driver whose career started in the 1920s when they would do races that was like, we're just going to put a bunch of like death wish having assholes on the most dangerous <laughs> roads through the Andes. And they're going to race from like the tip of South America up into Mexico. Those who survive will will win. And like, that's where he, where he came up. And then he's racing in F1 in the 50s on like, you know, controlled tracks, etc in cars that look completely different. And like, there's no one you're going to be able to compare to, to Fangio because like no driver who came into the sport post like 1955, you you would never find them anywhere near those types of races that have been, they were shut down <laughs> by 1950. These things where it's like, we're effectively doing like cannonball run uh, across <laughs> continents. So, you know, that's, that's part of it. I think the other element is, American sports have always had this because they're so quickly turned into like cartels kind of where it's like the league takes over and the pro level of the sport effectively all funnels into one big superstructure. Right. There's this pretense that like we are the sport and our records are the world records. Our series is the world 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 series. series, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And soccer. (laughs) I don't think that uh, you can't have a soccer hall of fame because like we like English FIFA, so- English FIFA would fo- love to do it. I they bet would, now. yeah. You know, but, because, that, because that's what they're trying to do, kind of like what you're saying is happening in North America. Well, right. They're trying to do it. Now, now you have... Like, would that the, have been um, the Super League equivalent, like the thing that fell apart a couple of years, like trying no. to establish something that's a little... Yes and no, like not for FIFA, because it was outside mm-hmm. of there. But 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 I can see, yes, it would be. It's another closed, uh, system, closed loop, I guess, a way of like consolidating the wealthy you know teams together because that's the thing i guess that stands different to me is the whole like thing of like teams having to bargain their way into the leagues whereas most 
like European soccer, for instance, like regardless of the country, generally has a promotion relegation system, which sort of just like, you know, takes that out of their control. Like there's a body that runs everything, but it's not... Mm-hmm. But, you know, then there are different bodies within those. Like, the Premier League only runs the Premier League. They don't run the Championship, you know, League One, League Two, the the conference. The, they're they're all sort of different heads of the same Hydra. But, um, yeah, it's it's not necessarily the same thing. And I wonder if that's why there was so much pushback to it. I mean, I, one of my my team, Arsenal, was one of the teams who went for it. And it was it was a, appalling. It was just it seemed like the most anti-sporting thing in the world. Um, but, yeah, I, I it, so yes and no. It's kind of... Similar enough, but I think for the reasons Rob was talking about, I think there's those are the reasons why it didn't. No, hardly anyone wanted it, which is the funny thing. Pre 1990, did clubs from different regions play each other uh, on, on a regular basis? Like, would would uh, UK uh, football fans in like the 40s or 50s have any real sense of? who Germans uh, like Germany's stars were or who uh, like Brazil's stars were outside of like World Cup appearances. Uh, World Cup would have been the main way, but like post World War Two, uh, there was a and obviously like, you know, just with the with modernity, you know, and modernization mm-hmm. in Europe and stuff and, and the breaking down of barriers, which then eventually led to stuff like the Europe, the EEC, which turned into EU and the Euro even and the Channel Tunnel. Like those borders were way harder culturally uh, as well as geographically. And they've all sort of like slowly dissolved um, differently depending on where you are in the, in, in, the, in the continent. But they would have always played in the European Cup. It's now known as the Champions League. But the European Cup has existed for years and years and years and was always the sort of preeminent, like the biggest tournaments basically in world soccer at a club level. Um, uh, to, and and that, you know, as television sort of became more of a thing and all that, like that grew and grew and grew. So it wouldn't have been like, you would have heard, like you would have in the 80s and 70s, you'd know about like all these Brazilian, you know, Jarzinho and like all these, you know, Pele, of course, you know what I mean? Like yeah. people knew who Pele was. Um, so that's always been part of it for sure but the not the way it is now where like now in a european in a regular european domestic season there are like three european tournaments now (laughs) like they used to just be the european cup and i guess it was the cup winners cup but like there's three like you know in the premier league you can qualify for three separate there's the champions league the europa league and the europa conference league so you know this push towards more games more tv time like that's a big reason why that's happened, but it's definitely sort of gone crazy in the past ten years. Rob, did you see um, the NBA announcing their in-season tournament to try and create something equivalent to, like, something we don't have in a lot of American sports? You know, like your your your, your yeah, other than like an All-Star break where like the teams take a, a break midway through the season and like teams mix and mash and like things get kind of uh, messed that's up. That's cool. Other, like, it used to be cool. Now, oh, oh man, the slam dunk contest. Rob, in the 90s, the slam dunk contest to the All-Star break was, like, one of my favorite things to watch. Now it's, <laughs> dunking got ruined. Like, actually, dunking as a form, this could be a whole separate podcast. I think it ruined. I think it kind of got, you ran out of dunks. Damn, Patrick like, Fine oh, hates right. Mac McClung. But like, I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> like dudes like that to belong in lockers, not dunk contests. Okay. How about I, this? Patrick, can I, can mm-hmm. I spin something? How about yeah. an, an enhanced dunking contest? <laughs> well, yeah, it's called the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, no, it's called Slam Ball. 
Yeah, yeah, it is called Slam Ball. You're what right. happened to that? I saw those clips. Did that ever happen? <laughs> it's insanely dangerous. I so, don't okay, care. So, quick story. So while I was at Red Bull, okay, this is, this is going to be a dark turn in this, in this story. So All everyone right. needs to buckle up. And if okay. you're sensitive to grievous bodily injury, you might want to skip ahead. I got a herniated disc I'm working on right now, Rob. How, how, where does that fall into that category? Uh. Well, this is ultimately about Gordon Hayward. So okay, okay, okay. While Please I was continue. at Red Bull, working in the esports uh, department, one of the people we wanted to work with was Gordon Hayward because Gordon Hayward uh, was a huge, is a huge nerd, uh, big time gamer, very serious, very serious League of Legends player. But we were trying to figure out what type of content, like what would be a cool video to do with him. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys on my team was like. Fucking cool would to get would be to get him to play slam ball with a bunch of other like nerds. No, no. And so we pitched Gordon Hayward's <laughs> agent on playing slam ball with like fucking Mango or something, the the Smash player type stuff because like Red Bull <laughs> always did stuff like that. And his agent was super nice. He was like, "Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Like, slam- wow, these slam ball videos are crazy." <laughs> but you know. I think can you explain season, sl- hold on, can you explain slam ball because I feel like there's a chance yeah you're right that people don't and I, I, you should set up why why is it so dangerous because it sounds like maybe it's just like a slam ball could sound like it's dodgeball and it's sir it is not yeah so here's the thing you know how like basketball has this boring hardwood court what if that hardwood court were made of trampolines <laughs> not not just one several. several. There's different, there's, there's like, there's like bouncy, there's like extremely bouncy trampolines from various launching points around the net. So you can really get like wild air uh, on a, on a slam ball court. But you know, the issue is, you know, I mean, has anyone ever been in a party with a trampoline <laughs> where somebody issue? doesn't end up crying? <laughs> yeah. So is, right. is the issue that, that you're on a trampoline? <laughs> the issue is you're on a trampoline, but the objective is not to come down straight down on a trampoline. Like trampolines, right. like things go wrong when you're like, and now to do cool lateral jumps. And it's like you run on a trampoline, you get wrecked. Uh, slam ball, the entire point is you hit that trampoline at like a dead run and then you launch yourself. And you go flying like 20 feet in the air. And it looks awesome. Like slam ball videos, it looks like the coolest thing. And you, you might think like this is this is future sport, right? Like cyborgs will play this. This will be this will be enhanced games. Uh, I would you know, watch event. that. You know what? I don't need to see enhanced <clears throat> track and field. What I need to see is some juiced up bros <laughs> playing slam ball that I don't have to feel bad about. Not perhaps Gordon Hayward playing. So this is the thing. Gordon Hayward's agent's like, you know, with the season coming up, like, I don't think it's probably too much of a risk, like medically speaking, for us to do something like that. I think we want to like have something a little more sedate, uh, maybe maybe a little safer for 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 Gordon. And the season that was coming up was his move to the Celtics. And if you remember that, that is a play where that is a season where on a routine play under the net, he goes up, comes down. And oh. suffers like a stunningly gruesome uh, oh, no. lower leg injury that has like every player on the court turning away and like almost throwing up. Uh, just just a horrible injury. That, that, that moment where a bunch of athletes realize that they're made of sticks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like you know, I, I did think about that. Where it's like, on the one hand, 
my God, we want that man to play slam ball. On the other hand, given how things played out, could it possibly have gone worse? Might as well count on that net, Gordo. What's the video you ended up doing? Oh, we did so many videos. Like we didn't, we didn't substitute anything. I'm not even sure. I think by the time they did anything with Hayward, if they did anything with him, I was at Waypoint. Oh, okay. Now he's out here, uh, Gordon Hayward, on May 3rd. Play against my bot today on chess.com. You can also watch me play against and talk hoops tonight at 7 p.m. on my Twitch channel and chess.com slash TV. So he's, he's still at type. Like, it doesn't seem like Gordon is run, run away from the, the nerddom. So you can go check him out. Uh, well, it was on May 3rd, but I'm sure there's a VOD up. Sure, he's partnered, unlike us, over at twitch.tv. <laughs> God damn it. Gotta break your leg. <sighs> I gotta go talk to some people. You had that nasty bike crash, actually. I you did. You gonna be okay talking about Tour de France? You had that nasty... That was about 10 years ago now, maybe? Yeah, a little... Yeah, yes. I was still in San Francisco. I was... Uh, I was... Uh, yeah, I, that... Dude, I should have... I, was that just a pothole? Or it was, was it like a I, uh, I was... Uh, I was at Giant Bomb. I uh, was finishing doing like a Friday... Uh, uh, what, do we, what do we call them? What do you call those? Uh, Unprofessional Fridays? Fridays. I'm trying to, yeah. There we go. Uh, um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been many years. Um, we did one of those. Was, Ryan Davis was you know, obviously still around. And uh, I was meeting up with uh, my wife for dinner at some steak place. But I had to go change into like something decent. We didn't have that much money at the time. But she's like, we're going to go somewhere nice. I'm like, okay. Nice. I got on my bike. Because back then I was riding uh, my bike back and forth like two and a half miles uh, from, from work. And it was, it was dark. And I was going down like an otherwise pretty innocuous hill, but one that had a decent amount of traffic, like, uh, and there was an, uh, pretty much an unmarked pothole. And Ugh. what happened was my tire got stuck in it, locked, and then I basically threw myself over um, and hit the ground. And it's dark out. It's, there's tons of traffic. No one even sees anything oh, happen. Oh, no. I get up. Uh, fortunately, I'm wearing a helmet. If I was not wearing that helmet, I am convinced I am not. If I am, I'm not here. I'm in a state. I'm in a ba- I'm in a bad place. I I stand up. I was. I don't think I was briefly knocked out, but I, like I definitely like, you know, blinked for a second because the force of it was was pretty intense. Uh, I get up and I call my wife and I'm like I fell off my bike pretty pretty bad. And she's like, okay, like can we still go to dinner? I was like, I don't. No, um, like I fell hard. I'm, I at least need you to come get me. I can't. I can't bike home if you could bring the car over. And like as I'm finishing up, there's not more than a minute long conversation. All the adrenaline yeah. is running oh, no. out of my system, and I I then remark to my you know my my now wife was like, no, I I did something bad. Like the uh, it hurts something fierce, and so she comes out gets me. Uh, we go to the nearest emergency room and um, every I have to tell her to start taking different roads because every bump is producing just oh, no. the sharpest that pain sucks. possible. And, as, and the way my wife describes it, eventually she was like looking over and like could see like a slight emergence on my like, shoulder, oh, suggesting right. something poor had gone wrong. Um, nothing broke through the skin, but things had moved and we get Ugh. Get to the emergency room, explain what happened. Um, I have like a pretty high pain tolerance, and the, 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 the like the attendant, the nurse is like, "What's uh like your pain level?" I'm like, uh, like a seven. She's like, oh. "I can we mark? Can I? 
can we put down a 10? And I was like, she's like, do you have a high t- pine town? She's like, yeah. She's like, we're putting down a 10. I was like, cool. Thank you. That seems like reasonable intervention on your part. You know, that's going to save you two hours of waiting. Yeah. Sir. Also, as I've learned, <laughs> and that's going to get you those good drugs. I have learned like, I have, pain yeah. below that. I've learned. Get you yes. I've learned in yeah. other injuries where I did not suitably explain uh, an exaggerated pain level. That for, stay out of it. For insurance purpose, for lots of reasons, just say it's oh, worse funny. than it is. That's a separate story. But right. related to this herniated disc was a similar incident where I set a lower pain level and then had problems with insurance as a result. Oh, um, that's a but color. I walk in, uh, finally get in to see a doctor, and they did an x-ray, uh, and then they're like, let's take off your shirt and take a look before we look at the x-rays. <laughs> I'm like... What's that get like? I think it's a gift from soccer with like is the, the guy going oof and like the doctor looks at it oh, and yeah, just like yeah. oof. <laughs> like yeah. it was just so <laughs> obvious. Like I looked at the x-ray and I was like, that looks fucked up. He's like, Yeah, it is fucked up. You did a you did a oh, number man. on your collarbone. I had like a ultimately like a six hour like they can only they can only tell how broken it was so much from the x-ray that when I went for the surgery a couple of weeks later, they then had to tell my wife, like, so. It's worse than we thought. It's cool. It's cool. But it's going to be like another two and a half hours before we get him taken care oh, of. Oh, wow. Um, and all told, look, it has had no material impact on my life. One of the best bones you can break is a collarbone <laughs> yeah. because it can shatter into a billion pieces. And then, whoop, like, it just, they put in some stuff. And uh, I, the only thing I, I was disappointed about was when I went on a flight for the first time afterwards. I was like, all right, I get to beep. And I didn't beep because they don't make the material out of stuff that beeps anymore. So it's not metal anymore, which is probably good. It's probably for probably for the best. But no, I think I think that is a that is a wonderful segue into uh, the Tour de France, which is going on currently. Where 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 are we at in terms of it's three weeks, right? Where yeah, where I don't know where they are at the moment. My parents have been my family uh, uh, WhatsApp. Has been taken over as it is most years with Tour de France. So this is a you we were talking um, about this before the podcast, but uh, I was attempted to describe you as potentially a fan of this, but it's you seem to actually fall more in the distinction of it's a cultural family thing, which I think seems to explain yes. the, the WhatsApp. Can you can you talk us through the your history with it? Sure. I mean, like the Tour de France, in case people don't know, is an incredibly long, <laughs> like a three week. Uh, race, which historically was around France, but over the years has sort of dipped its toe into different countries. Um, it did so in Ireland uh, when I was a teenager and I saw it live, which was fun. Uh, and uh, it's obviously like largely known as the sort of the, the you know, uh, most prestigious, most well-known definitely cycling race of the year. Um, and it definitely has like a large cultural, uh, you know, gravity to it in Europe. I think it's one of these things where like there are everyone knows a bike person, right? Like you have, you know, people are like way into bikes. You know, I live in Sonoma. So every day I go out in the weekends and there's people riding bikes. The Tour de France is the time for all the bike people in the world to watch a lot of cycling. <laughs> like even the ones who do not care most of the year, because there's more races, but like, for but this is their reason, moment to shine. Like amateur, amateurs and enthusiasts alike. And then also people who just like a spectacle. Yes, this is this is a reason to pay attention. It's the creme de la creme. It's super intense. It goes on forever. And one of the reasons I think my, for instance, like my mom and dad who don't cycle or like you know they can ride a bike, (laughs) (laughs) they learned as children, but they don't care about cycling at all. One of the reasons I think it looms so large in Ireland and England and in in the UK 
is two reasons. One, France is beautiful, and they cover this sport. There is, and it is impossible to uh, to to sort of overestimate how ma- how much camera infrastructure gets put on this thing. Be it he- multiple helicopters, people hanging onto the back of Vespas with cameras. Uh, people, it's like a mobile The Masters. It's, it's unbelievable because they all have to catch up with the various pelotons that are racing, and they can be pretty, spread out pretty far too. And they all have to like so that means the satellite trucks that are picking up the feeds from the cameras have to move. Um, the helicopters, the broadcast, this the, it's like even and it's every not, and day. And it's not terrain that like it is. It is you know different types of sorts that take place in an arena have infrastructure. It's like yes. look, we're going to broadcast this. This is this is something that is being built around a like televised worldwide event. So we're going to make it as easy as possible. And I have to assume that like infrastructure gets built in over time, like that maybe they can pick up and build on over the years. But again, like these are, you know, I was reading about the construction of the route and it's like it changes every yes. every year. It is like it is not it is not and it's not as simple as like hey, it starts in Ireland or it starts in the UK, but like literally the roads are going to be different because there are ongoing track design and so you just it seems like it must be as much of a spectacle for the on the production side than it is as it is for the people actually participating in the event and like in terms of production stuff it's not like they're in places with like tremendous lines of sight (laughs) and you can have a satellite truck like pulling in fees from like they're in especially right now i guess i gather that tour de france is in this in the state where they are it's become a really mountain crazy event. Uh, there you used to, to be more, yeah. more stages that were like rolling, rolling country, more like flat stages. And right now it's in this phase where people are here to see mountains. The <laughs> course designers <laughs> like mountains. This is like, a, like, like cottage core is like mountain core, right? People are just into <laughs> mountains at the moment. But like you can imagine now, like trying to get live camera feeds from a course that is like winding its way through canyons where like the line of sight might only exist for like a few hundred yards. It becomes it, like I can only imagine what a battle it is just to maintain the camera feeds uh, across these things. Like even the first stage when they were in um, uh, ba- Basque country, uh, it was like really choppy there for a bit as as the as the uh, peloton ascended into into the hills yeah it's it's and the hill stuff has only uh, increased over the past you know couple of years i think with the probably it, it just works for everyone the cyclists the like intensity of the you know these are incredibly fit people you know what i mean talk about enhanced games i'm sure lance armstrong will come up at some stage and <laughs> um, not that he yeah. was the only one or anything um uh but there's obviously that. It also works really good for the television. Like it's just it's it's such a boon for French tourism. I can't even tell you. And the other thing that I think is a really big reason is that because of this, because it is a three week long race and it has all of this infrastructure on it, it occupies a massive slot on television for a large part of the summer. And there's only a couple of sports that do that every year. Wimbledon's the other one. So you'll have a lot of people like my mom doesn't watch a lot of tennis, but she always watches Wimbledon. And this goes back to, you know, uh, growing up, uh, you know, in, in Ireland when I was in, you know, in the 90s, like we had five television channels for the most part. Like it eventually expanded. Uh, and the same in the UK where you had BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four were sort of the main four terrestrial channels. And so one of those four would just have cycling 
for a month. You know what I mean? So it's and it's the same reason um I think that Formula One ended up, you know, garnering such a bigger audience in the nineties was because every single Sunday you had the race on and it was live and you know, if you're hanging out on a Sunday and there's only like, you know, there's Poirot on one channel and there's like the news on another. And then there's like a race or a cycling event and people are enthusiastic about it. That like builds just this big, like soft, soft cultural following around it. You know what I mean? Well, that's, that's the equivalent. Like it is one of the many reasons other than like American football being a violent sport. And thus, I think just being like more gutturally attractive uh, to watch uh, on television. But it's because the ubiquity and obviously uh, American football takes place on Sunday, Monday, Thursday, (laughs) Uh, but it's thought of as a Sunday sport. It's the same exact thing that you're talking about, which is like, hey, if you're sitting around with people on a Sunday, regardless of whether you give a shit about the teams or what sport is on, this is less so these days with the like plethora of options. But the reason it became a cultural institution or one of the reasons is because what do you do on Sundays? Well, football's on and it's just on. It's just on the television or the background, whether it's a local team or the national game. Yeah, and it's for me like I, I, there's no other sport like the Tour de France in terms of you know if you're sitting down to watch Formula One for instance maybe you'll watch a couple of laps like my dad for instance not big into F1 my sister got was big into F1 and got me into F1 and she'd watch a whole race my dad would come in maybe watch a couple of laps and then walk away the thing about the Tour de France is that the Tour de France is like one of those Twitch IRL Twitch streamers that's just walking around like Akihabara or something, right? It's changing all the time. Like, you're like, what's around the next corner? And it's just, if you're sitting down, like my mom or dad or sister or brother or whatever, any any age, if you're watching a sport where people are like clearly incredibly, you know, uh, 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 you know, well-trained and everything, there's also the European element of which country you're pulling for, which is a big European thing. You know, Eurovision is is you know, big for a reason. A large part of it is the sort of like interconnected geopolitics and identities of, of everyone in Europe. So you're going for some people and... So you how know, does your family pick, right? Like that was a, like a... We've talked a lot on this show and like kind of the genesis of of us wanting to even do this other than just having a reason to record our Discord thoughts into a microphone um, was like exploring like regional cultural reasons that you become inter- intertwined with a particular sport or or team and so does your family like is the whatsapp chat did you do you settle on a cyclist or a like how do you arrive at like intrinsic to so many sports is eventually arriving at like what are you watching for other than right it's you it's rarely purely the love of the game what is it what was that who's that actor rob uh who was wearing the nfl cap oh uh, do you remember what Rob Lowe, right like nobody owns like bump i just love football um FIFA. Yeah. Right. And so how does your family arrive at like touchstones for what they're like watching over the course of those weeks? I think like for a lot of countries, it'll be easier because like there will be a, a main British team, mm-hmm. which will be, you know, uh, for Ireland for years, we had a, a really good cyclist uh, from my home county called Stephen Roach, who won the Tour de France, who that would have been in the late 80s, 90s, I'd say. Um, so th- so there was a time when Ireland and that probably helped with its popularity in Ireland, too. and. Uh, and eventually it, us having an early stage in Ireland. Um, uh, because of that, because there's like so many people talking about it, I think the news reporting around it tends to sort of start with the stories of like, oh, here's like this Peloton has this like very young cyclist in it who's been coming up or 
this is the fourth time that this team has tried to like win it. They've lost a bunch in a row or in the Lance Armstrong era, like the sort of superstar version, you know, where you've got like, oh, can they do it again? The dynasty. Are they going to do it or is someone going to topple them? And because it's kind of like baseball where, you know, baseball is a lot of like waiting around for something to happen. So the commentators kind of need to be good storytellers and talk Mm -hmm. broadly about what's going on as much as they are talking about, you know, there's a lot of hours to fill (laughs) for a cycling thing. (laughs) So it's a very easy sport to just kind of like watch, almost watch in the background, kind of like baseball is such a good radio sport. Like Mm -hmm. you can kind of watch it in the background and then you just start to like get it. And so for in our family WhatsApp, like it's my brother is like, he's kind of telling people about what's going on. Like he's saying like, oh, have you been watching X? Like they're, you know, they did really well here and they had the yellow uh, jacket and now they're, you know, or yellow uniform. I forget what it's called. The one when you won the previous stage, you get to wear yellow on the next one. Oh, Um, so there's color coding based on... Yeah, stage the like leader okay. of the previous stage um, and then the winner of the tour de france is like they basically take all of your times on all of the stages and whoever did it the fastest cumulatively is the is the ultimate winner um but uh yeah so it's, it's kind of like that it just like the stories emerge from it but also it's it is a type of sport you can just turn on for 20 minutes and not have you know a they mightn't look at your cyclist for a while you know that's a, that's a, it's a lot you know they're not always looking at the front there's a lot to mm-hmm. sort of to, to to show and then you know i don't know what it is about if this is like a more of a european thing but there are a lot of sports that take a long time like test cricket is similar to this where We've had a you lot know, of people write in going so I know cricket, and we have one. We, we in the question bucket. We have a question because okay. people people really want to see a cricket a chance while also going. So it's really long, <laughs> and I know it's really long. And 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 but it, I I wonder if you're right about that. If that is a regional component of the idea of like creating sports on purpose to be take up enormous chunks of time to create an event atmosphere around them. I'm sure there must be some sort of design history behind that that i'm not familiar with well i think it might be i think it's probably less the on purpose part and almost more that it emerges organically right like tour de france like these these cycling events are are basically rallies like they they stem from the same era when we're talking about like one manuel one manuel uh, fangio we're talking about similar things where it's right. like these are relatively recent technologies that are making huge strides and there's new infrastructure that allows uh the these things to be to be trialed out and they start out really really informally they start out by their 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 enthusiast things that are just happening to see you know who who can do this if we're if we're doing a wild cycling race across france who who can do it and that's that's how a lot of uh major races kind of get uh motorsports events get 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 their start as well i think it's really different like the again the the uh, the american model is very much like this this notion of going to stadiums and playing paying like gate fees to to an event it's like more of a promotion model as opposed to uh sort of a grassroots community model yeah i can see how like buying tickets for the tour de france is (laughs) seems like you know you just go to a place where it's on and stand do you have to like can you just pull up like what is the actual oh my god I, i mean I don't think there is. I mean, when I went to it, I just we just drove out to the. Oh, you the actually roads. went. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, so went, the, the, the part where they did Ireland. the staging and uh, yeah, what was that like? Pretty cool. It was. Um, it's 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 
it's wild to see how fast they go. Like we were on a hill <laughs> and it was like a really high hill and it was like, oh man, they just take this hill like it's nothing. Like, I feel no- like television probably doesn't properly convey yeah. the speed of it. Well, because the camera the camera cars are moving too. With you, yeah. And oh, so, sure. like there's a, there was a point, uh, there, there's, there's points, especially on some of these like twisting downhill sections where the commentators left to be like, now you probably can't tell this from the shots. They're going about 55 miles an hour. Right yeah. now. <laughs> and it's super da- like it is dangerous. Like I I might be wrong on this. Especially I- with fucking fans stepping into the, oh, the yeah. race course. There was that lady last uh, year as well. Have we who- had a crash this year yet related to a, a fan? I know a there's fan. always crashes. There's always going to be injuries. It's a, it's a high speed sport. Oh, but I- and like sometimes they hit the like they hit the camera cars. Have you seen them change their wheels moving? No. That's- have you ever seen that? That's yeah. horrifying. Yeah, Even they thinking ch- about it makes me upset. They change. So they have like support cars, right? So they have like, so there's a Peloton, which is, you know, like a group of cyclists and you'll have, you know, generally they're trying to get one of the cyclists. Um, they're trying to help their time. So they do a lot of drafting where like teammates will go in front and break the air so that the, in the end they can release, um, you know, their lead driver and stuff like that. But they'd also have support cars to go around trying to fix like punctures, replacing wheels, all that sort of stuff. So sometimes you'll see the cars pull up and they will lift the front of the bike up so the back wheel is still rolling and they will replace like the wheel. I think they do. I'm trying to remember. I don't, do the, can they replace the rear wheels with the chain? I'm not quite sure. But like, yeah, they'll do it and they'll put them back down again. It's it's bizarre. Um, Yeah. Uh, but I don't think you have to Hey, maybe they've stands near the maybe near the finishing line. There's probably somewhere that are more like something. they serve yeah. drinks. You know, I, mean, I can imagine there being like Hey, I bet, there's, there's probably, I bet there's a lot of farmers that are like, <laughs> you want to stand in this field, you got to pay me five quid yeah. for parking. Well, parking. parking. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah exactly. they absolutely yep, kill yep, it. Like yep. Indianapolis, yeah. like uh, one, once a month, like everyone around the track for, for miles suddenly becomes a small business owner. Yeah, same in uh, Dublin. Selling spots on their lawn. Around uh, any car park or any like private car park that's near Croke Park, which is the big hurling stadium. It's a 90,000 seater stadium and it's in the middle of Dublin. Um, and it's for a domestic, it's for a non-professional sport only. <laughs> so it's, um, uh, that's, uh, yeah, anywhere around there, there's all the lads out on the road who'll, you know, I'll mind your car for 10 euro. You know? <laughs> Make sure no one breaks into it. There have been uh, three, just to close the loop on the yeah. fan thing, there's, there's been, there have been three incidents so far. Um, okay. Uh, uh, one uh, uh, ended up uh, having a, a cyclist from Belgium have to leave as a result um other other ones have just been sort of either minor injuries or just slowed down um their different places i might be um, misremembering this but i i think some i think a spectator died in the irish stage when i was a kid when i was young i'm pretty sure i can't remember it wouldn't it would shock me if there weren't a number of fatalities by i mean because just imagining the sheer blunt force trauma of like a bike going at that speed and you're not wearing a helmet as a fan, and like right. I, you know, but the helmet that I had when I had my uh, collarbone accident, um, I wanted to keep it and like hang it somewhere because I thought it was like a kind of a nice symbolism yeah. of like having survived like this thing that could have been a really fundamental change in my life physically and mentally. And my wife threw that shit out, and she said, "No, I almost lost you. That thing can go in the trash." And I was wow. like, "Oh, I wish, wish we'd had a conversation about that, but I respect <laughs> it. You're the one that had to go through the trauma of like, like me being in surgery. I get it. Well, there's a push and pull between the two of us on that. So, <laughs> man, oh, and also anyone out there who has an old helmet, make sure you replace it because the styrofoam in those things. 
it only lasts like four years, is it, or something like yeah. that? Three or four yes. years? Yeah. Yeah. I, would, I was maybe, not planning on I was not planning on using it again. No, I, no, no, I was no. actually yeah. going to encase it. I was like <laughs> sure. yeah. in my in my near-death experience vault, uh, right here, uh, <laughs> we have uh, my my helmet. I, I think the helmet stuff might also be relevant to this as well, because one of the things that we talk a lot about in Shift F1 is how Drive to Survive has sort of demystified the drivers. And one of the mm. issues that you have in motorsports is that because they wear helmets, you don't see their faces during the um during the event, and you also don't have any like emotional feedback with them. When you're right. watching Tour de France, France, you can see their faces. You can see how you know the the last ten miles of this hill are really killing this person, um, or I should say, uh, male, because this is a male only race. That should also be um, uh, made a point of. They did have a female race. They tried it, I think, for a while in the eighties. Yes, they, I was reading. They, they dumped uh, it. Yeah, they. Um... But yes, uh, so one of this USA Today article, um, which just Google it's a, uh, a guide to the Tour de France. Uh, women have competed, but not directly with men, not over the same distances. Women have raced on smaller editions of the Tour over the years, once in 1955 and again from 1984 to 1989. That series was canceled over financial problems, which is frequently a issue right. with like women's sports is, is just the sheer funding to allow them to get popularity. Formula One, same thing we've had yep. recently, yeah. Uh, the women's tour was revived in 2022 with 144 women competing in the Tour de France's uh, smaller oh. version of the men's event with 640 miles over eight days. Um, that event, uh, the Femmes Ave Swift, uh, returns this year with women riders facing eight days over a 594 mile course. So actually, oh, it sounds I no like idea. this year, there, I don't know if it's happening at the moment, but uh, there is definitely, uh, it sounds like they're at least trying to to bring that back to i had no idea there you go yeah women can cycle too it turns out it's not you don't <laughs> you do not need uh male whatever to, um, to make it happen uh, okay lance armstrong male um, valor exactly. oh my god did <laughs> oh, he pop one, up again recently did he have a weird he like did, video he, did. He, he has a new podcast uh out um Oh, where, let me tell you, it's about it's about being cancelled or some it, shit. It is like yes, it was like the first <laughs> the first interview was with with Caitlyn Jenner and it's the, Lance Armstrong had a series of tweets that was about like when do we stop just asking questions and being curious and it's all <laughs> wrapped up Christ. in this complete horseshit questions over you know women's yeah. sports. It's the, like, least, it's, it's the very, person least nobody wants to hear from you on no. this, Lance. Nobody. Yeah, like, you weren't. Well, because I think he said, "I'm." I don't have the tweet in front of me. It's like, as someone with, like, I'm paraphrasing, but as someone with experience getting canceled, and <laughs> I think that's the that's canceled. The, exactly, Man, and like that was canceled. the thing that set off people. Like, there's so many folks that you just have to write off and just ignore because they're just cashing in <laughs> on the, so funny. the trans panic that is like been sweeping the nation for the last two years in a really predatory and and ghoulish way. But to have him right. use that term, this is really what got him all the intention, was like, I've been through cancel culture, bro. Back before we called it cancel culture, like, no, you cheated. <laughs> I forget. Yeah, hey, there man, was... You know, like, you know what? Remember Jeffrey Dahmer got canceled? Remember that? <laughs> there, I, I, what, God, what's the name of the documentary? I feel like it was a really good documentary that, that goes, like, really delves. I think it's based on the, the book that was written about the the armstrong this is from scandal. a couple of years ago i, I know which one you're but talking the descriptions about of yeah, it were pretty it gnarly where like it was he was a legitimately scary dude to be around uh when right. this thing was when the, when the sort of scam was operating at its height because uh, it required a lot of like everyone's going to keep the secret you work with me you're going to keep this the, the secret and there was a lot of like coercion around that uh when he was a bully well. by yeah. all accounts like i mean bully is 
perhaps like a <laughs> mild way of of describing the way that he was was treating others in the well, orbit. Well, he, he was an enhanced bully by that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe. Look, like by the, by the time we do the next for the next uh, episode of sports, like he'll have joined on the board of directors for the enhanced games. Yeah, exactly, uh, most yeah. most most likely. Did um for your family following this, like where does Lance Armstrong fit in that orbit? Oh, he just sucks. Everyone hates him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. did you did you just, accidentally root for him? Like, was that one of the ones that like because like because there was the cancer I, I thing that made him very sympathetic. That's, That's what true. I mean. There was a moment so, where, yeah. but before all this, like. And it's also, also it's like a side note you can answer within this, like, are dynasties common in the two to five, or like the fact that Armstrong, like, had such it a long like legacy. feels like guys have their window. Yeah, there are, there are, like, years, and you'll see them pop up in other Chris things Froome, like the Olympics. Chris right? was, like, yeah, just 100%, a killer yeah. for a number of yeah. years. Yeah, he was like the Lewis Hamilton of uh, for that era, and that and I, honestly, I I would imagine that the Tour de France was probably even more popular in the UK than or in England than um, uh, as a result. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Armstrong always kind of sucked in Europe. Like there are, there, there's like a there's bad a partic- vibes. <laughs> yeah, there's like a sort of a type of saccharin American that really does not go over well in Europe. <laughs> and and he was. Do we like, have other examples? Uh, who else? Like, uh, you know, he just seems like a like a shit eater. Like he just. I mean, I know like what you mean. Was, I I I I, can't, I I don't know if I can pinpoint yeah. even off the top of my head. I'm not sure. I can think. Um, I can see Rob Mulling. And it's not a uniquely <laughs> American thing, but when it, when an American does it in Europe, I think there's no uniquely irritating. I hear this yeah. on, on Shift F1 sometimes, where I feel like Danny's coming right up to, you know, we fucking hate you guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I get it because there because there are American <laughs> archetypes that are really fucking grating, uh, and I'm starting to realize how great that can be because I'm starting to have a similar reaction to English sports commentators <laughs> yes. and English sports figures, where I'm like, oh my god. Shut yeah. up. Just can't hear handle you anymore. Up. But like, yeah, I think the weird thing. I I feel like Armstrong leaned so hard. Remember, he's Mister Livestrong. Like he couldn't just face adversity and then like be a good cyclist. He had to turn into a. I am the most inspiring person who ever lived. I am modern day Jesus on a fucking bike. And by the way, if you have any doubts about how cool I am, Shell Crow vouches for me doesn't anymore but at the time you know there, there, there was, <laughs> well he was a pop culture figure yeah. right he he was one of those uh athletes that transcended sport into pop culture and i don't know that i don't remember i mean i know his name not just because of the cheating but just because he was like omnipresent like like he was just on talk show like he was just everywhere the u.s all postal the time, service held up. like basically that's this is their thing like I don't. You wouldn't have had these uh, in in Europe, uh, Danny. But <clears throat> in the U.S., uh, well, you would have been here though. I think for parts of it, right? Like the tail end of the Armstrong Mania, where like you couldn't turn on a sports event without seeing those postal service ads featuring Armstrong's squad oh. delivering mail around the country, and it's like oh, they're yeah, just yeah, so yeah. fast and so good. And so like he get as close as you can get to getting like official U.S. government endorsement. Like this is how. Miracle on 34th Street. Once the Postal Service says that guy is Santa, that's it. That case is done. And it's a similar <laughs> thing with Armstrong, where like the Postal Service came in, come rain, you know, come rain, come shine. And they were like, he's our guy. He represents our values. And, you know, so again, like you would, even if you didn't follow cycling, you turn on TV and there are all these reminders that like, and there he goes, folks, salute the greatest American sportsman in history. Right. 
His name is doing a lot of work as well. I had to yeah. Google just in case that wasn't his real name because I was like, that is something he would have done. He would have changed his name to like something <laughs> cool like Lance Armstrong. You know, it's like Usain Bolt. You know what I mean? It's like that's when, a cool name or it's Scott cool Speed. Name. You know, in in F in in motor racing, there's like there are names that are just like leg ups. Lance Armstrong is definitely like like his. He was made to be a superhero, but it turns out it's his real name, so I can't say that he didn't lie about that. Unless he edits his own Wikipedia articles, which he probably does. <laughs> I can see him editing his own Wikipedia articles under an old. Uh, Rob, before we hit the break, I don't know, is there anything else from the Tour de France that you wanted to bring up, thought was notable, uh, thought was interesting? No, I mean, like, I think it's so... One, like, two, two notes. One, I started playing Cycling Manager. Uh, you oh did. My God, PC, you did. And Sicko. discovered... So this Have is you the played it beyond I, the stream? Pardon? Have you played it beyond the stream? Uh, no, it was, okay, it, okay, like, I didn't okay. actually enjoy it that much in part because I didn't understand it well enough. Like I didn't, for instance, I did not realize that cycling teams have way deeper benches than the guys who are out there on the track. Like they operate really, really significant, like organizations behind these guys where there's the squad you enter in the Tour de France and then you deploy other guys, different tracks and different, different events. And you sort of use them for different purposes. And so there's there's a lot of like nuance to how these things are these things are run. Uh, it's it's in a weird way it's like closer to um, XCOM management in some ways. <laughs> like you have different people getting different reps, and you're 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 developing the organization. Uh, you know, doing events around the world. And but it's it's interesting seeing that play out when you watch something like the tour, because you have things where at the start of the tour, teams try to avoid this where they have multiple people who are viable, like general classification uh, contenders. They don't really want that. They want to structure the entire thing where they got our guy who's going to be going for King of the Mountain. We got our guy who's going to be going for the overall win. But when you have those situations where you have two riders who both might have a viable shot, you have this weird thing of they will like kind of be on the same team, but also each one wants to decisively bury the other at a certain point. To be like, okay, now I'm the guy who's going for the overall like tour win. Everyone else needs to get with supporting me and work with me on making that happen. And so it's it's really interesting just seeing these these tactics unfold. And I guess I don't know if this is unique to this year. Um, Peloton speed, I guess, has gotten way more intense. Like maybe the overall fitness of the field has increased, but it's gotten really murderous out there for uh, the guys who are there who are like sprinters, you know, right. whose, whose whole whose whole gig is when there are these because this is the other thing, Patrick. I didn't realize this till I started playing cycling manager and I didn't really realize I, now I'm paying closer attention to the tour. There are multiple races happening within the tour tour de France. Like there is the the mountain stuff, king of the mountain. There are points contests for like being the first across these various hills there are sprinter ch- like there's sprint sections that are scored separately from the overall classification little mini games within the, the main game yeah and there's people <laughs> who are going to distinguish themselves not looking for an overall tour win but are trying to be the winner of these sort of sub events and so seeing how that affects the tactics of a race is really interesting too because you will see you know, 
you might be on a team that overall you got your very your your squad of riders and you're there to work together, you know, for the team and support the person who's going for overall like classification win. But you will also see guys from various teams who are like, well, we're we're all like sprinters. And so it's time for us to work together as a team within this race to dump these guys and get in position to go have our sprint race uh, uh, separately from the from the peloton. So it becomes a really like it's a really interesting sport to watch that I'm getting increasingly fascinated by because like again to Danny's point about like being able to see the faces, you will see these guys start shooting the shit in the sections where like they can breathe a little more and like hand gestures like you will see them like scheming up. They're not on the same team. And you'll see them scheming up like okay, so when do you want to go? When do you want to when do you want to hit this? And you'll see them co- cooperate, but then later you'll see somebody like betray the group. And be like, <laughs> now I can break away. And they'll start pedaling furiously. And it's like cartoon character because they'll be pedaling furiously. And you'll see them keep like checking over their shoulders to be like, are yeah, they with yeah. me? Are they with me? And if like once they realize they're not going to get away, you can sort of see them like forlornly give up, get pulled back into the group. And other guys will sometimes be like, shame, doing, man. Yeah, like we got we got a half mile to till the till the till this next uh you know objective marker. What you're you dumbass? You made us all work hard now, and we didn't have to. So it's it's a really fascinating sport to watch, and also just a deeply relaxing one. Like it's one of those beautiful things to throw on a TV for a day, bar none. I wish I wish there was a no commentary version. I wish like there was a peacock like <laughs> no commentary, France, no, no com- let's play no commentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I don't need yeah. to hear like uh, you know, Jim. <laughs> tell me what's going through a cyclist's uh, mind right now. Well, you know, you're just so nervous. This is the tour. This is the tour. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, they're they're just filling time. And there's times where I'm like, you know what, you know what, bestie, you don't need to say anything. You can just let the producer cut between shots of livestock in the fields. Yes. <laughs> uh, ships out on the ocean. And then like riders going through, going through the mountain passes. I'm good. That's all I need, buddy. Uh, before we uh, get to the break, uh, one of our delightful listeners, Max, wrote in. Uh, hey, Robin Patrick and Danny. With the Tour de France being a few weeks away, I've prepared a quiz of sorts where you can guess the definition of some terms used during the course in cycling in general. Since Rob has acquired a wealth of knowledge as the manager of Archaea, 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 yeah, Archaea, I figured he should probably be the quiz master. Um, oh, so oh, I didn't think about this. Now, I oh, I'm answering these. Oh no! Oh, oh no! Um, okay, I'm not. I'm not. I've, I have the answers below. I'm not going to look at them. Danny, I think you're going to answer these as well, but I'm going to answer first. Okay, because I don't want to. Dra- I don't want to draft. Uh huh. On there your answer, because you might know. Patrick, do you mean to scroll um, down and read these questions to you? Yes, go yeah, go right ahead. Is this toward um, the bottom? God, I did not even read this part of it. I was like, haha, oh, this is my gotcha for Rob. And it turns out it's a gotcha for me. All right. Question one. Here we go. And this is multiple choice. Okay. What is the tit de la course? A, the writer at the front of the stage. B, the leader of the general classification. C, the spokesperson for all cyclists during the tour. C. I think that I think like de la de la course feels like of the course, and so I'm saying it's like a spokesperson. I'm going with C. I'm uh, going with B. Okay, so Patrick goes spokesperson. Danny's saying leader for GC. Uh, no, 
It is the writer at the front of the stage. It's A. <laughs> right. I was like, it's A or B. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep uh, a tally. All right, so Danny zero, Patrick. Yeah, this is where zero. I, look. I have, I have, I have weaved a very good career in America, pretending like I know <laughs> European sports. And this is, you know, I, I've. This is your downfall. Almost, this is where all the Patreons yeah, pull out. Almost a decade talking about Formula One, like I know what I'm talking about, and now it's all gonna come, come fall apart here. <laughs> Two, what is a prologue? A, the name for the group of junior writers who start before the elite and get a chance to show themselves. B, the name for the commercial caravan who ride in front of the race and are the first thing spectators see. C, the name of a short first stage of a race designed to give someone the general classification in Jersey. A, junior rider. C. Danny is correct. Short first stage. Uh, start of the race. I, I wish it was. I wish it was the what was B? The, the, the cars <laughs> the name that go the commercial in caravan that rides in front of the race. <laughs> that's what great. did I want to pick? Was B? What that's what I wanted to pick. Uh, let me ask one of those questions. There's one last thing I wanted to. Okay, just one side note before I ask this next question. Uh, there is also a man who dresses up as a devil and prances along the uh, stages of the the Tour de France. I have never been so convinced that someone probably has bad vibes. Apparently, he's a well known figure, and like this is he's just a German cycling fan who like shows up near the end of a stage with a little devil fork and a devil <laughs> costume and like does the whole like j- like capering jig as the riders go by. That is very um, like. Uh... Uh, th- that's like something out of, out of Pentiment. You know what I mean? That's very old yes. school Bavarian sort of folk witchery. I feel it's like. very cool, but I can't, <laughs> I can't shake the Fireman Ed vibes of the entire thing. Who's Fireman like, Ed? He, so he is that dude at Jets games who wears the Fireman outfit, the, the Fireman hat, uh, okay. done up in Jets decorations. And Isn't it funny how every sport has one of these guys? There's a guy in, in Hurling who would always be at this one... Uh, stadium in in the south of Ireland called Turles that would wear that had like John like a John three sixteen kind of thing. Oh, of course, like yeah, a big yellow sign, and it got stolen one time, and everyone like <laughs> had to go find a sign, and it got recovered. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rob, uh, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs fan Chief Saholic, who is one of these quintessential Ch- uh, Kansas City Chiefs fans, was arrested for a series of bank robberies. Bank ro- Wow. Like, re- like this just happened, like, at the last, the last Incredible. day. Incredible. Okay. All right, hit me with number three. All right. <clears throat> who is called the Lantern Rouge? The writer who is last in the general classification. B, the writer who finished last during the last stage. C, the driver of the last car, which signifies the end of the race and the resumption of normal road traffic. These are written Ooh, really that's well. good. That's good. These all they are all sound very incredible. compelling. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm going with C. That's, it does seem like you'd have to have something like that. Like having a special title of the person who says, hey, the race, like, you can take a right now on this street. You, I'm going with C. You said Lantern, Lantern Rouge, so it's red yep. light or red lantern. Yep. Um, yeah, I kind of like C as well. I don't know, but C feels good. It's A. Writer was last in general classification. God, okay. That's a, my backup was B, so I'm I would <laughs> uh four. What is a domestique? 
A, a small but steep hill, not quite a mountain, but still hard work. <laughs> B, a rider who sacrifices himself for the team. He'll ride in the wind, drop back to get water, etc. <laughs> C, the person in the team car responsible for bike repairs. Oh, man, these are so good. Domestic, domestic. Feels like they're putting in the work. They're all very well worded. Uh, yeah. Um, they, all, they all sound the like idea, things the, that should have names. The idea of having a, a, a rider that is just like, hey, do you want to do the bitch work? Like, I mean, that makes sense that they're, it's more like, they're, just here for, like, they're just happy to be here and they're going to do the hard stuff. But I think yeah, I got to get away from C. I'm like too attached. I'm going for A. I'm, give me that hill. I'm going for the hill. I'm going for B. I like the idea of there being like a special term for the intern of the of the Peloton. It is B. A rider sacrifices oh, himself fuck. for the team. He'll ride in the wind, drop back to get water. I believe a domestic is like being a maid or a butler or like a, a servant. Okay. So it makes sense that like this would be the uh, name for the person who does this work. By the way, watching the sport again, this is a nightmarishly tough job. Because the thing is, your team car is riding behind the peloton. So whatever, like the people racing for the win, when they break away and like leave the pack and go like hurtling up the road, they're doing it for the win. The the domestique has to drop all the way back to the team car to get water for people, and then catch ride up. like hell to catch up to people <laughs> to hand them water. So That's we have to do crazy. all the same stuff. Don't spill and like and <laughs> be like incredibly athletic but it's all in the service of making sure that everybody's got their juice and then they got then they got to squeeze they got to get in front of them and squeeze it in their mouth and make <laughs> yeah i'm sure they're a nightmare themselves. themselves five what is a bidon a a water bottle b a spare tire <laughs> c a time a time trial bike water bottle spare tire a bidon? Yep. A bidon. My high school. A time friend. trial bike. My high, <laughs> my high school French is, is doing work and overload here. Bidon. It sounds, it sounds short. You know what it sounds like, right? So, bidet. <laughs> I would go for A because anything that, that is that small has to be somewhat ubiquitous. So I'm going to go A. Mm. It is A. <laughs> It is a, it is a water bottle. Bidon. I am just. What the, what did you think it sounded like? Were you saying me? bidet? No, uh, yeah. Rob. You no, that was, that was oh. me. It was like that's. I would probably just like be like uh, bidet, water something. <laughs> All right. Okay, I really need to make up some ground here. What is a blow up? A a writer is blowing up the race by placing an unexpected attack. B, a writer is giving his all for this team for the team leader. C, a writer can't keep pace with the group due to overexertion. C. Yeah, C feels right to me as well. C is correct. Yeah. Okay, at least I'm on, at least I'm on, the, You're board. on the board. At least I'm on the board. <sighs> 7. What is the autobus? A, the mechanics car. B, group of riders who can't keep pace. C, the French word for bus. What? Is, is autobus the... Oh, sorry. I don't want to... 
Sounds like the German word for bus. I think it's the it's Spanish not... word. I think oh, is it? maybe that's is this a trick question? Is that also correct? What is like I don't know. I feel like there's a different French word for bus. I'm just saying. I don't help Patrick mm. out a little bit. I could be wrong. I don't know. Mm. That just seems so spe- like the French like that just seems like it seems so obvious and so if I feel like it can't be that. Um I feel like I'm being led astray. French word for team bus. The mechanics car. Between A and C, I gotta take some. I'm going with A, the mechanics car. That was A, wasn't it? Yeah, the mechanics. Yeah, car yeah, was a, yes. I think that too. It's B, the group of riders who <laughs> can't keep ba- pace. That's so funny. That's brutal. That is that's brutal. Yeah. You're back there in the uh, in the autobus. Beep beep. Because they're all together, so they're in a bus. That's brilliant. Oh, just one really big, one big bus of slow people. That's bunch brilliant. of losers. Yeah. That's, that's crash great. Peloton. <laughs> oh, that's that's brutal. I like that. What's a musette? The writer's lunchbox. B. The person on the team responsible for handing out water bottles. C. The team masseur. What's a masseur? Like a masseuse? Like yep. working yeah. out? Okay. That's, that also Musette? seems too Could you obvious. spell it? M-U-S-E-T-T-E. Musette. Okay. I'm going with the water bottles. I've, I feel like that's... I'm going with the person... Wait, was it, oh, person with the water bottles? Person well, handing out the water bottles. What else was it? It was that... What was the... Lunch what was box B? was A. Lunch box. Masseur was C. And then bottles was B. I'll go with uh, A. I'll go with A. Because et uh, means small, so I'm guessing it's like a small lunchbox. You would be correct. Fuck. Okay. Fuck. It's ruined the, by language. It's just the minute, the minute Patrick heard that etymology, he knew it was done. He yeah, was I didn't know. It must, it must be like a tiny little thing they have or something, like a little. Did they carry, they carry it on their person? Do they? I think like stuffed. Yeah, in I, their think, pants. I think here in in uh, America we call it a fanny pack. Okay, <laughs> a bum bag we call those in in a because fanny you know means something else in mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm, although i'm mm-hmm. not sure they do so do they have a little peg like that because what, what i see them actually like no i think it's on their jersey they have a very small <laughs> like little pouches on their yeah. on their side um but like really small like they don't look like pouches they're just like almost like tiny little hidden sleeves that they're able to pull like things out of uh all right nine what is an echelon a, a technically very skilled rider. B, a technique that helps riders combat crosswinds. C, a famous bike brand. Fuck. Wow. Do you want me to go first on some of these, maybe, to even it out? No. No. Wow. No. No. Wow. no, I don't. No. I'm not. I'm trying to be, no. trying to be helpful. Mm-mm. How many questions are there? Uh, the, next the last, last two. Um, I've okay. already lost, but I just, I'm just trying to save the, the embarrassment at this point. An echelon. It doesn't feel like an, an echelon would be a technique necessarily. But maybe that's echelon sounds cool. <laughs> and like maybe you're skilled. So I'm going with A. I'll go with B. It is B. Fucking god damn it. Six to one. If you take French out of the equation, I'm probably it's probably three to one. A lot of this has been just what, because that's what it's like being a bad French-speaking person in. Fr- I've been mm. in France like fifteen times in my life. I've spent a lot of time mm-hmm, in France. Mm-hmm. 
this is what you're doing all the time is trying to f- backwards program what they're saying to you. Be like, I don't know what that word is, but I'm just going to use my general knowledge of romantic languages and, you know, the context clues to figure it out. So that's, I've been, mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. skilled for this exact use by my terrible French. Out, out here, Lance Armstronging me. Uh, I didn't, <laughs> didn't even know it. Look, I am a, I am a hyper enhanced French speaker. Yeah. Enhanced. Well, it is. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it is the technique that helps combat crosswinds. So B is correct. Right. All right, take us home. Ten, what is the literal translation of Peloton? A, not a group. B, bunch. C, little ball. I'm going with B, bunch. I think it's C. Danny is correct. Yeah. Fuck. I don't Damn. know which one of those words I remember. Seven to one. Peloton. What's ball in French? Bell. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there you go. Look, we, well, we saved, look, I did again, better we, than we I set this rough, uh, segment up opening. as your undoing, but it, you saved yourself. We're good. We're good. Yeah, you're right. I did. It wasn't <laughs> my knowledge of the Tour de France. It was my knowledge of... Je suis désolé, mon français est go. très mauvais. Fantastic. My well, we will take French. a, a yeah. quick break, come back, talk some uh, Wrexham, uh, answer some of your questions, and then get out of here. We'll be right back. One of the things we wanted to talk about um, before we get to your questions before we get out of here was uh, I don't know sort of like the uh, on the on the back of this the Welcome to Re- uh, Wrexham show in which Rob Delaney and uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, by uh, <laughs> Mark McElhenney. Uh, Rob Delaney's McElhenney. another one, right? That's another comedian. Yeah. All right, I was on the right track. Comedian, um, yeah. yeah. And you know, uh, purchase uh, you know, the, the football team, uh, Wrexham, um, and it's sort of like pitches this, this kind of like underdog story of, a uh, well explain for our audience. We, we have talked about soccer football a little bit, but relegation, Danny, talk us through it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess unlike, um, you know, most, uh, American sports, uh, you know, there are just far too many football teams in, on the British Isles. Um, I say that because England and Wales have a, decent amount of crossover Wrexham being one of those um teams a lot of the Welsh some Welsh teams play in the English Premier League um there's there's a lot of teams um and you know it's it's an ancient sport and it's played at a community level for a long time uh so when they eventually amalgamated a lot of these sort of regional stuff into bigger leagues um they had uh different divisions so the best teams are in the top divisions and uh, the not so good ones are in the bottom and they used to be division one division two division three division four and then at a certain point in the 90s they decided to brand one of the divisions the one at the top something cool so they called it the premier league because they wanted it to be the biggest league in europe and then after a while league one the new league one <laughs> got jealous league two previously was like yeah they were like uh, we should probably recall ourselves something else too so they called themselves the championship um 
and then League Three, which was then two, became League One, <laughs> and then League Two was underneath that. So you've got Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two, and then you have non-league football underneath that, which is um, a delineation, which means certain things in terms of uh, the amount of money that they're getting from the broader British uh, uh, um, uh, football uh, federation. Uh, but generally just means you're getting less and less money the lower you go down. It used to be, it was called a load of different things. It used to be called the Vauxhall Conference when I was growing up because Vauxhall sponsored it. It's usually named after a sponsor. Vauxhall, the car manufacturer in, in I think they're, I don't know where in Europe they're from. Um, so uh, because of this system, you have a system then where teams can go up and down. So in the Premier League, you can only really go down. Uh, you can qualify for Europe by being high in the in the Premier League by the end of the season. Um, uh, but that's how the leagues work, is that there's no, there's no postseason. It is one league with all the teams. You play everyone twice, and then if you're first, you win. And if you're in the bottom three, you go down to the championship. And then that means there are teams that come up. Uh, it's different a little bit for some of the leagues. Some of them are like, oh, the first two come up, and then the last position is a playoff a series, or the first one goes up, and the last two positions are a playoff series. Uh, but basically, you have this thing where teams go up and down, um, and because of the financial implications of this, uh, in some respects, it can be seen as like a death sentence. Um, the the fall between the Premier League and the Championship is a really bad one. The fall between the Championship and League One, you could argue, is even worse. Um, League One and League Two, not so bad. I feel like there's a decent amount of movement between them, uh, but then dropping into the non-league stuff is where it gets really scary and where teams often, that's their final stop on the route to oblivion. And there are lots of teams that do not exist anymore, uh, that used to be in the top tier, that eventually fell all the way down to the bottom. And what's happening at Wrexham is that they are trying to do the opposite. Wrexham was a team that was in uh, the top tier of English football in the past. Um, It's one of the oldest clubs in the country and uh, in the world. Longest the, running uh, functioning stadium uh, the, in the world, right? Like the, the existing stadium. Yes. Uh, like they built a different one. Obviously, they've renovated it and changed it. But in terms of a structure in the world that is being used to play this sport, like, re, like, re, right. and it looks it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it looks like now when I it only does. watched the first the, two episodes of the show. But uh, <laughs> you can tell. It's like, oh, yeah, that does look like an ancient monument. Totally. Yeah. The race ground, it's right in the middle of town, which a lot of these, you know, stadiums tended to be they were like sort of community centers and also the story of Wrexham as a football team is largely the story of pit towns in Wales and manufacturing hubs in Wales that have been largely left behind by uh you know um <laughs> I was about to say Mark Thatcher but I can't blame everything on Thatcherism but like you can try uh, though <laughs> you know the sort of um yeah modernization of uh of 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 whatever the industry in in the in the UK and and a lot of these hubs that were manufacturing or extraction, um, and this was definitely more so of a case in the north of England than in Wales, that were sort of left behind and just became poor places. Um, and then there was less money for those people to spend on things that weren't food and a roof over their head, and people moved away and depression uh, in all of its forms. Uh, and Wrexham is one of those towns that definitely suffered uh, as a result of that. Uh, and the, the size of the team and the catchment area and all that probably didn't help. His downfall was maybe swifter than some other ones. But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to build it back up. And ultimately, like, I mean, the fairy tale ending, I won't spoil anything about the show, but like, I think the larger fairy tale ending that they will be hoping to get is 
is seeing how far up the ladder of English football they can get. Uh, yeah, the, I think in the show they 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 say like in the Premier League, like the average player can make something like three point five million a year, and then in that League One, the mm-hmm. average salary is closer to like fifty thousand U.S. dollars. Like I think maybe a little less than that, to just to show the the disparity. And like yeah. we have, we have similar sort of like systems of hey, you do this for a career, and people think you're a professional player, but in terms of what that means for your finances, your ability to support a family, like Rob, I think our closest equivalent is like you know, like, uh, like triple a baseball, um, which is like, like, like the, just below the MLB. Um, and yes, you are traveling and playing baseball all the time. You are not making millions of dollars, but you are putting in similar time and effort in the hopes that you will be called up by the team that drafted you to then potentially make, you know, the sort of life-changing, uh, money. Um, but you know, American sports are, are, are broadly, well, not exclusively, like none of them have the relegation system, um, in it. I don't think, I think Americans are too fucking cowardly. I don't think they could handle a relegation system as exciting as I think it would be to have, have that sort of movement, but it's, it's not. So the, the real objection to relegation systems, and this is again, one reason that like they loved the super league idea is that again, it's cartel stuff. Like if you are always in the the main event the main league you are guaranteed a certain amount mm-hmm. of tv rights money you are guaranteed uh you know you you can your your gate take will be uh you know probably higher you can charge more for the events there, there's a lot of things that come along with it that all of it goes T- away very tv suddenly. rights is probably a big one because that's the big one they lose yes and that's the biggest dollar or pound difference between being in the championship and being in the premier league well, and then I think like championship, there's still TV rights money out there. It's just not as much, but it falls off fast below that yeah. level where I think like in, in the, in Wrexham, they're basically like these games are barely televised. There, there's no TV money coming in. It's like what people spend at the gate and at concessions is kind of what you make. Uh, but so like this, is, that's the big reason why American sports <clears throat> don't do the relegation thing is they're very quick to make themselves an exclusive club. And so that none of them can fall out of it. And there's a there's a debate similar to this happening in F1 right now where there were rules left in place in F1 to allow expansion. There was no rule that said nobody could join F1. But now all the teams are closing ranks and trying to make sure that there can never be more than 10 teams. Because if there are only 10 teams, if you want in, you basically have to give someone the value of that slot, even if their team sucks. And so it, it becomes, you know, the, like the asset is guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the, like, in, in, you can sort of see in, in the UK football tradition where these are basically community teams and how do you sort them out? There's no, it doesn't form like football or, or baseball. And so it sort of makes sense that it would sort of end up being in these, like, hierarchies where you're trying to put together decent matches and trying to get teams appropriately matched. And it's one of the things that, I like Welcome to Wrexham a lot. I'm really curious how I'm going to feel about the second season. Because one of the things that is happening here is like, I mean, look, look, if we could do it, Patrick, I think we'd have a ball. You just had enough money where like you and your buddy, instead of like buying a shitty car and like renovating uh-huh. and, and rebuilding it or something. Instead, it's we have enough money that we could buy a shitty soccer team. And we could actually, like, with the money we have, we could actually make a difference in terms of recruiting better players, improving facilities, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like, you're literally playing in real life football manager. To the point where, like, 
McElhenney sends one of his buddies, one of his acting and comedy buddies, over to Wrexham to run that team. Uh, this he's is, just a he's screenwriter. Getting, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I meant to denigrate their uh, position in like the, the work, but like it's someone that was a writer on Mythic Quest, like with them, the Apple TV Plus show he does. That the, the you know the the show outlines the way that like he originally gets into 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 soccer is by watching this other guy watch games like in the writer's room like that's the, the that's the like and <laughs> so, that scene the first step i think the first segment is where he goes over introduces himself to the team after after things close uh and i was like yeah i don't really know what i'm doing they don't know what they're doing but like we're coming in we're gonna hope we're gonna help and they kind of shut the door and you hear the whole team laugh a little bit and chuckle yeah. like uh, <laughs> as the door shuts behind them uh like really made me uh chuckle but the thing so but the thing their money can buy is like you know patrick in, at minor league levels in sports like you're a minor league player there's sort of a pay scale there there's some guys who are being kept on ice uh before being like promoted uh to you know to the show but what they can sort of do at this level is they can bring players in for bigger contracts than teams can really sustain at this level they can start buying players who are frankly too good for that tier yeah and like basically run the ringer strategy now it's hard because the like one of the things they get into with Rex with Welcome to Rexum is that at the tier they are at, it's the only it's the it's the level where the players have to be from the UK. Whereas any tier above that, you can have players whose citizenship is anywhere. Wait, really? For this level? Why? Because that, this that is, seems like that would just artificially keep those teams down as a result of not being able to pull from a larger pool. Well, it does. It does. Yeah. But also part like this, this league is kind of, it's, it's like community teams. Like it's not rec league, but it's not like, it sort of makes sense that like, there's no bit, there's no need for someone to be coming in from abroad to come play at a level where like, this is just where dudes who want to stay in the game and are good enough to play like semi pro football can sort of stay in. Like that's kind of the requirement is the kind of thing we don't have in like American football, for example, where basically if you don't, you're not good enough to play in the NFL. The college is where, oh right, college yeah, is where your right. career you, ends. Um, you because edge, yeah. there's just there's just no there's nowhere of value. There's no system for you to feed into, which is which is unfortunate. Um, but it sounds like I, okay. I guess the positive spin on it is like you can make a decent wage by continuing to do the thing that you love. But it also just seems like those limitations are sort of like, hey, that's really benefiting the teams that made it up there. <laughs> Well, especially because those teams, when they get up there, now they can recruit from anywhere, and they've got a wider talent pool to draw from, whereas at the level that they start at, to get a good player who is also from the UK Mm -hmm. requires more money than if you were just saying, like, I need a player of this skill level. Okay. Because, like, now you have to thread this needle on this requirement. So they start, this is, but this is the thing, like, I love that first season, but there's this point toward the end where it's like one of their big matches is huge significance for promotion. And I love this, the documentary choice they make here, which is they profile this rival town and it's basically Wrexham. It's the same people. It's the same fans. It's the same. It's all the same. Same story. Yeah. And so like which team should you be rooting for here? This team doesn't have celebrity owners coming in to try and like buy their way to promotion or this team that's like also like army crawled their way into contention for a promotion and also has the weight of other communities hopes and the history on their shoulders as well yeah like the actual oldest club i believe in in oh the world. really that's yeah. how they pos- that's it's, i don't like that at yeah. all and it, and it goes the whole way to the end of the season it's like 
Yeah, it's there's a and it's funny, right? Because you're talking about the American system and your and and this system. There's so many like pluses and minuses. The other issue with like them trying to get players is that you have to pay a premium to get somebody to come down to the non-league because they're basically stepping out of the sort of professional football world into this sort of weird like like purgatory so well, they're probably going to sacrifice brand deals and things like that right no, like who's yeah. going to want to sign it, things like that if you're going to be not on look, tv for example it looks but i mean you're barely on tv in, in league two anyway but you're not wrong and then uh it just looks bad on the, the resume like if you're going mm-hmm. down you're not going up now but um, it feels fucking awesome though to also be to, like to be that skill like, level to go down and suddenly it's like <laughs> it's like when you're right on the bubble in like high school sports between like you you could play varsity. You wouldn't right. be a starter, but you could play varsity. You're good enough. But what the hell? Why don't you get some JV reps too against yeah. kids who are like <laughs> a full year or two younger than you yeah, totally. and like figuring this stuff out? And you're just like, ha ha, yes, die. Uh, the other thing I'll say in in favor of the American system, just to say that like because there's like loads of financial fair play issues across uh, English football, across European football. Um, uh, and uh, currently in the Premier League, I mean, uh, I, I find it hard to watch. I stopped watching for a couple of years while I was here, in, uh, not just because my, <laughs> my team sucked shit and I did not like the direction helpful, they were going though. in. It does help. Um, uh, because I was getting so uh, just disenfranchised by how much, especially like, you know, nation state money was, was dominating uh, the top flight of English football. And they by pissed the way, me off thing. all the way back. Yeah. It's also all over cycling. I was stunned how much. Oh, like, really? Cycling. It's like one of the big teams this year is like, ah, that the UAE is really coming in and like talking about a team. They're called like the UAE team. That's they're, funny. They're backed by the UAE. But a country it's like a similar you thing. cannot cycle in probably. I've been there a bunch of times, probably 10 months of the year, and it has no hills. So that <laughs> sounds like a particularly <laughs> stupid place to be doing cycling. Um, but it's because we always talk about, you know, the, the, the in. A lot of time in, in NFL, in American football, you know, there is this uh, uh, real intentionality towards parity, like wanting to make sure that like even like the base level bad team is a certain level right. of and and part of that is because essentially they artificially lower what labor can earn as a result. And there's a lot that goes into that. It's not right. not specifically just just that, but like that is one of the mechanisms they use to essentially control player movement and earning potential alongside things like salary caps uh to create you know in the most generous terms like hey all the teams are going to be watchable um um, and then there's like different levels of of good great and greatness that go go from there and that you can't just you cannot buy a super team like that that does not happen which it sounds like is part of what has contributed oh yeah man city some of your a super team yeah they they hired i mean they were smart about it. They didn't just throw money around and do nothing with it like Chelsea did for years. Chelsea got funded by a, a Russian oligarch who basically pumped all of his money into this team. They bought themselves a lot of success through that. But in more recent years, you know, they spent, what was it, $600 million in the Christmas uh, transfer break and ate shit. I think they ended up in 12th or something. Also, I hate, feels pretty good, I hate Chelsea too. They're another <laughs> London team, so I have to um, dunk on them a bit. But yeah, yeah. I think the, the 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 American thing though that always makes me like it that bit more is the draft system. And granted, your team yeah. can one hundred percent just have a fallow year and get that draft pick if they want. Uh, 
But it does create a scenario where you do have these Phoenix from the Flames moments. And that does not happen in English football. It happened once in my lifetime, I would say. You know, there are years where it was like, you know, uh, when Liverpool finally got the title or when like it came down to the, like City's first year winning it in the last second of the last game was unbelievable. Last kick of the season, basically. Ridiculous stuff. Two goals in injury time to win the league. Their first title in, in, you know, a century, basically. But when Leicester City, who had just been promoted, came up with Claudio Ranieri as their manager and managed to win the title, it was everyone was going for them because it was just like, this is unbelievable. Like, this does not happen in English football. And I think that happens in American sports more. Uh, you know, some because I guess that you do have that draft system and you do have, mm-hmm. you know, these... Uh, maybe shorter careers or maybe the fact that you don't have a lot of trading like like quarterbacks stay at a team for a long time it seems like unless they're bad and then they get shuffled out but if you're playing well you get to stay there and that doesn't happen in soccer like a good player gets picked up and we're guilty of this too as well Arsenal we just spent 105 million on Declan Rice who is this player from West Ham not too far from um East London uh, northeast London where Arsenal are um uh, to get him over and it was like a foregone conclusion because West Ham were like well he's our captain we, he's done great things here but he's worth too much money and he's going to want to go and earn more money somewhere else so we're, I guess we're just going to have to sell him and that that type of thing you know is is it's unfair you know and my team's part of that too we're, we're not crazy like what's going on with City and Newcastle but um, you know it's it is there's definitely a lot less uh you know for it's weird that an american sport has sort of a bit more of a socialist edge to it than the sort of <laughs> well, socialism rich people which yeah, is why it that's works. true that's yeah, true you're yeah, right yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. but yeah you're right from a fan's perspective uh like you know you know at a thousand feet away yes it does mean that every year it does feel like there's even when your team is dog shit you can you know I mean, this is what we were this is why you know rob and i were losing our minds for the Bears getting the number one draft pick in the NFL, right? right? Because, like, this can trans... doesn't mean the team's going to do anything with it, right? Like, that, a lot of this year, like, remains to be... It's, like, it's going to be the first fruits of all of that. Like, what do you do when you sucked shit and then got that number one pick, (laughs) turned that into more players? Like, it doesn't mean the team's going to be good, but it does mean that in a year where we probably still won't win a ton of games, you can see hope. You can see a path. You'll be better. And you'll, you, we will be better. It, it will be more fun in a way that, um, you know, it, it sounds less likely for teams that are in the doldrums for like, you know, welcome to Wrexham. It's like d- decades, like, like just in the complete right. wilderness. Because if you get relegated, if, especially from the Premier League down to the championship, not only are you using all that like television money, they have a system where you still get paid out a bit of it for the first two years you're down there. But like, chances are most of your best players have things in their contracts that say you have to release me if we get relegated. So you end up losing. Yeah, yeah. So your team is like gutted. Like maybe you'll get a bit of money for some of them. Maybe you won't. A lot of your backroom staff will probably leave. It's bad. So well, me, you may want to exercise that option anyway because the thing is you can't afford them. Like that's so, tr- the, and that's so true. Rexham that's is true. the good yeah. vibes version of Sunderland till I die. Yes. Uh, which is one of the bleakest sports documentaries I've ever seen. That is a. The the pitch on this was Sunderland gets relegated out of Premier League into champions. And the documentary is going to be like, we're going to cover their comeback to the Premier League. And they end up being the bottom place team in Champions League. And they get relegated oh, no, again. Championship, yeah. Uh, championship, yeah. Uh, they end up getting relegated again to an even lower tier. 
and the, so the entire yeah. thing was like they were they were carrying a a, a a roster they couldn't afford. The only way it made sense was to try and use these players in that la- in that last year to basically claw their way back into Premier League. They went into free fall, and this is so the second season is them realizing like okay now the money's dried up we are now we are now broke and all our good players are gone and we now are living hand to mouth on what we are making through paltry tv rights and like merch sales and what's what's awful about this especially for Sunderland fans is that Sunderland is like Sunderland and Newcastle are are beside each other right they're like a big rivalry up in northeast england and uh, around this same time is when Newcastle, who have had a horrific owner who didn't care or invest in that team for the longest time and sucked it dry, eventually sold out to the Saudi investment public investment fund. So they are now going to be there. And last year they had a great season, you know, largely without having bought a bunch of players. They obviously did up a bunch of other elements of the club and that helped. But um they are now skyrocketing and probably going to be challenging for the title in the next couple of years because they just have this unlimited money bucket. And like, so Sunderland fans are like, I feel incredibly sad for them at the moment because it's just, it's like, yeah, it's a tale of two cities and a tale of two. Like this is what happens when you have no money. This is what happens when you have money. Uh, The other thing that I, I found really interesting, you know, like, again, I've only seen the first two episodes, but the fact that the pitch the two of them have to make to even acquire the team is to this board, which is made up of a bunch of, I guess, super fans would maybe like be like, how, I don't know how you wait, find your way on the board. Because well, the team was like in, in administration. So that's kind of the weird thing too, is they were doing this weird, they were acquiring the team that was basically a distressed asset that was being run by like a community trust. Right. Uh, and they were trying to figure out like, are you the right people to sell to? Well, they, cause they, you know, they, they don't really get into the, at least in the, you know, the opening of us, they don't really get into the previous owners that had bought and mm-hmm. then, then subsequently poorly run the team. And so there've been so many awful experiences with outsiders coming in and mismanaging the team or trying to get them promoted that you, I mean, the bar they set for them, like where you have 75% of like yeah. the board has to approve uh, and obviously, you know, it works out for them. They get like 90 plus because I think, yes, I'd also say yes to these ho- Hollywoods. That does seem like <laughs> hot, like on its face, like your best path out. And one of the one of the best like shots in, in those openings is like everyone just outside the stadium, like clearly late at night, like getting wrecked because they're so excited that there's potentially a path forward. But the fact that there is this like community level approval, like. It's not just that, yeah, look, anybody that wants to spend money here should be allowed to buy it. It's like, no, they can still say no to it is really cool and interesting and unlike anything that exists in any of the sports that I follow. Like, the closest is the sham of, like, you own stock of the Green Bay Packers. Like, you don't. (laughs) You have no influence over that fucking team just because you get to go to a, like, a fan festival and hold up your your piece of paper. And yeah, if the Bears sold that, I would buy it. <laughs> and so like it, it is a, but it's a quirk of the green Bay Packers as opposed to something that is prolific in uh, American sports. But I, I loved that part of it, or maybe I would hate it. Cause it means that you, you can have a team that was meant a lot to you that ends up in literal purgatory. Yeah. Um, like, do it's you like, really want to be that close to your team? Maybe you don't, maybe it's easier to be mad at the billionaires. It's um, also not like scalable. Is it? Cause like, you know, how many f- football teams are there? 
Like, in NFL. 32, right? Okay, and there's what, 370 million people in the States or something like that, mm-hmm. is it? So yeah. imagine that and then like just think of the amount of like teams. Like a lot of people support a team in the Premier League and support their local team. Um, right. Just so they can like have skin in the in the big game. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's community-wise. And also like a lot of these a lot of these stadiums and a lot of these clubs are so rooted, like crazy rooted in the community. Like you go to Arsenal Stadium, you go to the Emirates, it's in North London, it's like off Holloway Road, you walk down and there's a huge stadium that is in the middle of this area of London. They have, as part of building the stadium, had to like spend a bunch of money on, you know, doing up affordable housing as part of it. And like all, like all these Selhurst Park, like all these places I've been to, all these stadiums over the years, they're embedded in the community geographically. They're not outside of town. They're not the San Francisco 49ers in whatever, where are they down in Santa Ana, whatever it is? Santa Clara. Like, yeah, Santa that's, Clara. The, that's, the, that's the trend in a lot of, uh, right. especially in the NFL, is is moving, and we, I am about. Or moving teams. I am about, my, my team, our team, the, is, is you know, in theory, uh, building a stadium uh, less than 10 minutes from my house. Like they're, oh, wow. They're, they're moving out of Chicago. Um, they don't own the stadium in Chicago. It's shared with the park district that has caused all sorts of, I can understand some of the issues from the team's perspective and the city's perspective, but basically like they've, they bought a giant, um, ra- uh, a horse race track that is like right. miles and miles of like literally the stadium they currently have in Chicago would fit in the horse race track. And then they have miles and miles around it. But okay. like, I am currently in the midst of like my kid's school district had to hire a lobbyist so that they can try and like uh. get a better tax deal from, from the bears based on, all of the ramifications like the thing with like this i don't know it sounds like the culture in europe is a little more of like embed in the community the culture in the state is usually yeah we're going to drop this big alien ship uh, around you and we're going to tell you that it's going to create economic development and you're going to give us a bunch of money for it and we're going to get you emotionally attached to a team that yeah. is going to suck the life out of the local communities because it never actually manifests into like a community place and uh, uh, the economic development that they promise, like the house always wins, and it's always these these yeah, NFL I was, teams. I so, was bitter about this stuff before, and then having all the teams that I supported in Oakland now slowly mm-hmm. <laughs> all three for three, basically. Absolutely, now. yes, yeah, yes. Um, yeah. It's it's and like I, I think it would be unfair to talk about British and European football writ large without over the, especially over the past 10, 15 years as it has become more global. And it's not just foreign money. It's also the ethos. Like foreign money came in and filled a void that was left by this massive surge to just be these super clubs. So yeah, I think Barcelona is a really good example of this, where that is a team that historically was 100% owned by the fans. Like that was a club. That was a like paid into member card carrying funded not just the soccer, the basketball, everything. It was like mm-hmm. part of their identity as Catalonia. Like it was... And and they used to have no sponsor on their shirt because they didn't need one because this was the fans. That and then rules. they started putting charities on it just because why not? And then they started putting brands on it. And then they mm. started taking out loans. And then they started... And then like Barcelona now is just like, you know, they had a bankruptcy uh, issues in the past couple of years. So like, it's it's interesting. There's a Twitter account called Crap 90s Football that is very funny that shows highlights of... Sort of the football that I would watch on match of the day at the end of a, su- a Saturday night. And the soccer that exists, the football that exists now in Europe and especially in the UK and England in the top flight is unbelievably good in terms of like the quality of play. It's light years better, but it definitely has come 
at a cost, uh, you know. And I think financially, Wrexham, it'll be interesting to see how high they go up, how high those jumps are. I think they can get into League One from League Two. I think a lot of teams who make it out of the conferences get up again because they've got that momentum. They've got the fans behind them. They have a winning culture and they go up. It's going to be interesting to see where they plateau, how hard it is uh, for them to make the next leaps because Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney money can get you out of the doldrums into mm-hmm. the, you know, get you out of purgatory maybe. But these days... It's not to- nation state money. No, like it's Deadpool, not. Deadpool money is big, but it's not, it's not an oil well, fund. So do, I can't, you got to watch more. Wrexham is really good. It's a really good series. Yeah, and it's the other weird yeah. part of this is Everyone is keenly aware this is globally a really popular show. It's the thing that can't be reproduced with these other teams in, in a similar tier is that Wrexham has become a famous brand because of this fucking show. And so like guys who came down there to play, normally that would be a career setback. But now like Paul Mullen is an international yeah, soccer right? star because he's the Wrexham guy. Yeah. And but the but even in that first season, there's that thing where really and it's it, I like the documentary because it's also a portrait of like a friendship between two guys who don't know each other real well. Yeah. <laughs> but McElhaney wanted to do this. And he was like, I don't have money to do it, but Ryan Reynolds has a lot of money. And so I can convince him to go along, we'll we'll do it. And so they do have money where they can they can get a team up into this level, but like they're gonna run out of like they don't have maybe at this next tier they do have the kind of money where they can make a difference, especially with how savvy they're being. But there is a tier where it's just like the pay scales are beyond what Ryan Reynolds can risk. Unless they with, want to sell with, out, right? Like, although unless right. you start, you start going down the roads that other teams do. And that would seem to go against, again, like, you know, I haven't watched it done, but teams would go against like the underdog ethos that seems to be. Yeah, but a lot I'll of tell you, forward. those fans, like, they're like, we, we just want pe- owners to take care of us. We want someone who loves the club and loves the team. Yeah, but once exactly. you start winning, and it's like you get it. Go! There's some of these guys. I swear, tap yeah. into that they oil. Would, they would eat children <laughs> if it meant that they got like bigger stars and compete, got a, got a promotion <gasps> to a higher tier. Like they, they like yeah, this like the Sunderland Newcastle thing. Like you think Sunderland fans now wouldn't take that money? Absolutely, you know? mm-hmm. bite your absolutely. Handle. So it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how this unfolds as like the the amounts of money to stay competitive get get bigger because the reason i want to talk you know danny about this a little bit is because like you know you want to see where this can go uh ryan reynolds and mac and rob mcelany just became investors in an f1 team it was very splashy the way this was all packaged is like and now they're getting involved with alpine f1 they don't have money to be meaningfully involved with alpine f1 yeah this is a way for them to get a small ownership stake and alpine gets a bit of like the they get to bask in a bit of like the good press that attends these two guys as like sports owners. And I think they probably want a little bit of the marketing machine that they have built up around Wrexham because Alpine is not a particular, despite being an old brand, (laughs) does not feel like a particularly popular one. I mean, Renault is an old brand. Alpine is, you know, their, their funky new title. Yeah, but it does go back. Like, they've run the Alpine mark for a while. Just nobody's ever really given a shit about, like, their performance yeah. cars. But it's just, it's one of those things where this was covered as, like, wow, like, Ryan, like Reynolds and McElhinney are getting involved in F1. And it's like, they don't have money to do this. Like, they're, yeah. they're, 
they're part of an ownership group. They will, you know, they will trot them out for press events and such. But like, this is not Wrexham. This is not going to be welcome to Wrexham, but with like wheels. Have, have you guys, you might not know this because it's, it's a bit, of, it's fairly on the periphery of a sport that's probably already on the periphery for you guys. But have you seen what's happening with the Saudi Arabian domestic league? So didn't they, are they, they got messy, was it? So no, they were trying to get messy. Uh, because oh. Messi was was leaving Paris Saint-Germain. So Messi left Barcelona, the club that basically like, you know, brought him, him over from Argentina him? when he was like 13 years old. No, we got Messi. Yeah. Right? I know enough He's going to play in headlines. Miami, right? For, for Beckham's team, he's going to... Yeah. The, the, the deal for Messi in the US involves not just him getting paid a shit ton of money. Right. Apple he's paying got, him. Apple is paying him. Because they have the rights to the TV. TV he has like a percentage yeah, There's of the also TV something rights, in the yeah. deal that says that he has the option to buy an MLS team once this is done. Um, it's crazy. But the Saudi Arabians are super pissed off because they he is like a representative of the Saudi um, you know, soccer federation or whatever. They thought they're gonna get in there just like Ronaldo mm-hmm. um headed off to the middle. Okay, East. so it's Ronaldo, sorry. But he is gonna go play in their league. Uh, Ronaldo already plays in where well, he doesn't play in the Saudi league. He plays in the do 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 do. I forget the team he's but with. But the league Al-Nassar. was like no organic fan base. It's just like no, absolutely not. It's the um. It, oh, it is. Sorry, it is. I'll, they're also in Saudi Arabia. Sorry. Yes, yes, you're right. Um. So the yes. So that's happening. But not outside of those two guys. They are so all the teams are basically all owned by the Saudi Public Investment Fund. They are all pumping those teams full of money. Um. And they are buying a lot of players. This happened with the Chinese league about 10, eight years ago, where they suddenly were buying a bunch of like, not creme de la creme European footballers, but like just like one or two rung down, maybe getting them out there for insane levels of money. So they can head up these teams. So the Saudi Arabians are doing this. There's also a little bit of weirdness happening where like the Saudi Arabian, uh, the public investment fund also owns like a stake in Chelsea. And Chelsea are being able to get a bunch of their players they don't want off the books by sending them to Saudi Arabia. This is also, uh, like, one of our players, Thomas Partey, wants to go play in um, Italy at Juventus, but there are Saudi teams that will pay twice as many if we send him off to Saudi Arabia. (laughs) So there's there's a weird, like, they're trying to make, like, an outsider league um, and then try and, like, sell the TV rights against it. So between this and the live golf PGA stuff, like, yeah, worked out with the golf stuff. I mean, it did in like a yeah. macro sense, but in a micro sense, like live golf was a so it's just disaster. it's 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 very strange. We used to you know sports washing is like a term that's become popular over the past ten years, but what's going on at the moment just seems like I don't know. I don't I don't I don't fathom it because a lot of these things are just going to lose shed loads of money. But you know, if, in in the golf situation, it's like they now own golf basically. So like it was worth everything mm-hmm. because it's a monopoly essentially. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ma- it doesn't matter that their domestic or like their their attempt at making an alternative league was unwatched. They had to pay broadcasters to put it on. Like it, none of that matters because at the end of the day, they ended up essentially merging yeah. with, uh, with 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 they uh, did with, with golf and like that they get they get yeah. the cultural so touch. It's, uh, it's just it's uh, there was one just about all of this I guess. Um, uh, there was one quote from Rory McIlroy, who's the um, Irish golfer, uh, who at one stage, uh, you know, probably the biggest name in golf post Tiger, I'd say, era. Um, he was just sort of resigned to it. I've, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was like, at a certain point, you just can't fight against that level of money. Like, there is nothing we can do mm-hmm. about it. Well, especially and, because 
the people above you who control the purse strings, they're by inclination, they are not inclined. They, they, they are not going to say no to huge checks, especially at a time where capital is getting tighter. Uh, but, but second, like there is a point where you just can't say no to a check. You can't say 100, like the money that they're offering these golfers and now a lot of these players in Saudi Arabia, Arabia is like, that is like generational wealth. Like, like for, for going somewhere to play for four years, you're getting paid like hundreds of millions. Like it's just insane. Yeah, hell of it. Like I will, I will go play in Saudi, Saudi Arabia's, uh, living chess uh (laughs) soccer tournament hell yeah yeah so it's it's just funny like uh, and who knows where this will all go whether it was a blip or or shifts the landscape but you know in a way nfl and their draft and their closed system you know at least it seems like it's somewhat protected from this particular brand of like excessive Late capitalism or whatever we'll, the hell it is. We'll see. I've, I've, you know, we'll I've seen the next is, round of ownership transfers. Okay, yeah. the well, winners? or expansion teams, right? Yeah. Like that is right. inevitable, and we'll and they, yes, they the, the all the public indications are that they want to avoid something like that, and also the NFL has rules in terms of how you can actually purchase teams, which is supposed to stop. I don't know, but like it's mm. coming. And then the when NFL that happens, doesn't like big investment owner groups, no, right? Like suppo- NFL, it's supposed like, to be yes, like you're not supposed to be able to just like glom together. You can have minority like invest like, but it's not meant to be. There are shields against this, basically, but it's just right. a, at some point someone's going to pierce it, and and then that will be the NFL is sort of like the like that is the last big indicator on all that stuff. I think it'll come to, you know, the NBA and stuff like that. But before that, um, before we uh, get out of here, um, uh, we're not going to do a bunch of questions because we've uh, predictably gone long. But I promised it earlier, and so I at least have to ask Danny about this. In the future, you can send. Uh, with the title of sports to uh, questions at remapradio.com. But you you posted uh, a tweet, uh, Danny, um, and uh, someone uh, wrote in saying, Danny tweeted about hurling the other day. I don't know <laughs> enough to have a question other than can you talk about hurling? So sure. please, the floor is yours. Uh, so hurling, so there are two national sports in Ireland. One is called hurling and one is called Gaelic football. And they are both sort of old sports, ancient sports um, that have uh, that are like super tied into Irish cultural identity. Um, they're both played on the same. I'll talk about the similarities first. They're both played on a very large field, um, like bigger than a soccer field. At the end of each of those fields is a goal that looks like a soccer goal, but with um, you know uh, two posts that go up in the sky, like in like a American football. Like imagine American football, but there's a net and a goaltender on the bottom part. Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, uh, um, so uh, 15 on 15, if you get, a, if you put the ball or the hurling ball, which is called a slitter, a smaller ball, in the net. A what? You get a, what is you get it? A slitter. Okay. S-L-I-O-T-A-R. A slitter. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> if you get that or the Gaelic football, which Gaelic football looks like a soccer ball, Hurling is played with a stick made of ash and a small leather ball, not dissimilar to like a baseball, but lighter. It's made of like cork kind of wrapped mm-hmm. in leather. Um, if it gets in the goal like underneath in the net part at the bottom, it's worth three points. They just call it a goal. And then if it goes over the top, it's worth a point. And what will happen is you'll have different teams playing each other and like the score will be 115 to 212. And that's a draw because the one and the two at the start are actually worth three points. It's a goal 
and 12 points or 15 points against two goals and 12 points. You have to do a little bit of math as you're, as you're watching the sport. Um, it's played entirely unprofessionally, though I will say the amateur status of some of the players in the modern era is a little bit questionable. A lot of them have day jobs that they're not really... Ooh, maybe they're is, maybe they get a little controversial about how they're oh, yeah, yeah. amateurism. Oh yeah, like like maybe they have a job at a bank, but they don't really have to be there three days oh, a week, and yes. you know the the bank manager. It's like care. NCAA for grownups. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like oh, um, you're getting your degree. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a uh, it's thirty. So the teams aren't like privately owned teams. They are the thirty two counties of Ireland. So you play for the county you were born in. That's sick. And in hurling and getting football, my dad played for our county at lower levels um, uh, for uh, for Waterford. There are sort of like parts of the country that are really good at certain things, uh, like Kerry. Kerry in the southwest is pretty dominant of uh, Gaelic football. Um, Galway have been too. Dublin have been as well. Um, and there's a bunch of different tournaments throughout the year. There's like a league tournament and a, and a knockout tournament as well. The final of the sort of the the, the big one which is where all the regional teams play each other in the four provinces in one final where the two last teams play each other is something called the All-Ireland. And it happens in Croke Park, which is a 90,000-seater stadium in Dublin. It's Danny, pretty I have incredible. a question. Yes. You said the league contains the 32 counties of Ireland. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. So that's all Northern, of Ireland, right? Yes. So the Northern Irish uh, 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 counties also play. Uh, so it's split up. Because this, all this, a lot of this predates, you know, well, it doesn't predate English colonialism. <laughs> some, some of it, the, the organized element of the sport, probably not. But um, yeah, so they actually play, and also the four divisions, as it were, the four leagues that are there, everyone's split up into, to a certain, some of the competitions are the four provinces of Ireland, which are Connacht, Ulster, Leinster, and Munster. And Ulster is largely um, Northern Ireland. You know, Donegal is in there as well, but it's largely the Northern Irish um, you know, do you, did you are you aware that our rugby team is is national? Our rugby team is all of Ireland, including the I was north. Not aware of that. Yeah. So there are, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a subject you kind of have to like gingerly enter. But like, there are some sports. Oddly enough, it, a foreign sport like rugby is is a funny one where um where uh, where where that happens. Um, I, I'll leave you with one more anecdote just because it. I think it sort of speaks about you know, the cultural importance of sport and all that sort of stuff. Croke Park is like um, a really important part of Irish heritage. The sports are too, because like a lot of things, the English tried to destroy our language, tried to destroy the sports. Like a lot of the stuff was outlawed, punishable, um, you know, if you're speaking Irish or, or doing any of these things. Um, have you ever seen the movie Michael Collins? Yep. So there's, a, there's an instance in that where a bunch of black and tans are killed, which was... Black and Tans is like a basically a, a death squad of uh, English demobilized uh, English uh, soldiers from World War yeah. One, but they were an official British army sent into Ireland basically to terrorize them. Basically, uh, in the yeah. wake of the war, like contra, yeah, like just like yeah, exactly. And so that's why, like, you don't don't say don't order a black and tan in an Irish bar. Let me just say that or a car bomb while we're at it. But we love um, serving them in American bars, right? We have a different name for it. I think it's a, what is it, a half and half or a for someone will email in i forget it's disgusting i don't know why anyone would do it um but anyway a bunch of black and tans were killed and the next day i think was the all ireland final in gaelic football and the english drove a tank onto the field and shot into the crowd so like so like it it looms large that the fact that this is a a, an irish uh it's a huge stadium that's built by irish money and we only play the sport that's really important to us and a number of years ago it's a while back now maybe 15 years ago the um 
uh, soccer stadium that they also did the rugby in, Lansdowne Road, was being rebuilt and redeveloped. So they'd know where to play the rugby games for the Six Nations, which is a rugby tournament between Ireland, England, Wales, Scotland, France, and poor Italy, who hardly ever win a game. They know where to play the games. And there was a huge national debate about whether or not they should allow them to play these games in Croke Park because they'd never had allowed anyone to do that. And especially not what is largely seen as, as a, you know, English sport, a foreign sport. Um, eventually, they went into a vote on it. They said yes. They said we'd do it. I think the first game was against France. The second game was against England. And my dad was in the stadium. Everyone was like, it was such a moment of like, we're going to play the old enemy in a stadium where they rightly should not ever go in again, was kind of the feeling nationally. But we also don't want to embarrass ourselves. We have to like show that we're past it, that we meet them as equals and as friends. And like, I cannot tell you, like the hairs are standing up. I cannot tell you to have grown up in like a post troubles era how important this moment was for irish people um i'm like getting worked up about it thinking about it and the biggest moment was when they did the national anthems because we do two national anthems for the rugby team we do our on the vein which is our irish republic irish national anthem and we do another one called ireland's call which is in english which is sort of more you know except you know it's kind of everyone the north and and the south of the country and everything and um the fucking, they shouted for the Irish National Anthem. Like, the, my dad said he, that everyone was in tears. Like, just the whole, like, this is, this is how we're going to fight. This is how we're going to show how proud we are. We're just going to, like, beat it out. I watched, you can watch it on television. And then when they did God Save the Queen, no, like, let the English obviously sung it. No one booed. No one nothing. My dad said there was a guy about 10 rows in front of him who started booing, and the guy behind him punched him in the back of the head. It was just like, fucking no, we're not doing this. You know what I mean? And then, more importantly, we best the absolute shit out of England in that game. <laughs> like, fucking destroyed them. That, so, was, that was your version of a boo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, it's like, you know, globally, sport just means so much to people. And I love when people ask me about hurling, because I get to talk about how proud I am of that sport. It's such a fun sport to watch. Uh, it's super fast. You know, it, uh, it's really difficult. They have to run around the pitch all the time. They catch these balls in the air. Just go look up like what is hurling on YouTube and you'll see it. But um, what it means to Irish people is is an altogether different question. And even if you're not like into watching hurling or getting football, you still have like a great love for it. Well, if there is a big uh, upcoming hurling, ter- I don't, but if you could, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on hurling. I feel like that what we have opened the door to is <laughs> the next time Danny is. I'm like, why are they playing lacrosse with hockey sticks? Right. Yeah. yeah I, would, can't, I feel like we can't get into it. We'll be here for another hour, but I think, I think the, the people are going to demand more hurling. And uh, I think we will have to, uh, have to satisfy that thirst both for myself and for, for the audience. So if, uh, if you'll come back, Danny, then we will, we'll, we'll, we'll love have to, to the, the- yeah, the All Ireland final is coming up. It's at the end of this month. It's the July thirtieth um, okay. in Croke Park. Okay, well, um, you know, I was thinking is... three to four months from now. But it, hey, if the end of July, you know what? Sorry, the hurling is a calling. <laughs> no, we could do. And, and... We could do, if anyone wants to watch it, I think that's the football final. I don't know when the hurling one is on. It's soon after, maybe a week or two after that. Okay, well, um, we'll, we'll figure it out. But we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna talk some hurling. I'm I'm yeah. I'm excited about this. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of, of this episode. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow Remap on Twitter at Remap Radio, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Remap Radio, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash at 
Remap Radio. The at is important. Um, <laughs> at slash Remap Radio will get you nowhere. Uh, this episode is in an ad free when it eventually has ads. Uh, if you're subscribed, at least the $5 uh, tier, uh, the basic tier over at Remap Radio. Dot com. Remap is wholly owned by us and is funded by you. We don't work at a big corporation anymore. We have to pay for insurance and podcast hosting. And eventually, in a, in a few years, when I move up to Q, Chicago Bears season tickets, where they end up at the <laughs> racetrack or they stay in Chicago. Either way, I'm down that path. Uh, so you can directly support the future of Remap uh, by extension this podcast over at remapradio.com. Danny, what do you got going on? What have you? I saw you promoting uh, our friend, our former colleague, Natalie Watson. Did a documentary oh, yeah. on immortality, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We have a document on immortality. Just went up. We'll have one on vampire survivors in the next week or two. Um, and uh, yeah, we're also doing our tape archive, um, a bunch of videotapes, which uh, which uh, those of us who have worked together know all too much about. Uh, we're in the process of digitizing a bunch of them. So uh, what, what is that? To, what, if people haven't heard it, what is the, I, I mean, I know what it is, but like, what yeah. is the tape archive? What did you find? It's basically, uh, there was a, there was a, I'm, I'm vague about the location that where these uh-huh. tapes came from for okay. obvious reasons. Um, there was a lot of uh, video game uh, tapes that were from, uh, let's just say some media companies in the Bay Area that were going to throw them in, in a landfill. And it was basically a bunch of videotapes uh, that had a bunch of video game history on them. Um, I was familiar with some of them and some of them less so. And uh, we took uh, possession of the tapes and we're in the process of combing through them and basically putting anything with historical value on uh, archive.org and on YouTube. Uh, and you can go check out some of those. Like, it's cool because it's like 1080p or 1080i, but 1080, mm-hmm. you know, versions of videos that were uploaded like in 360p 15 years ago. And the only version that exists now is like, a copy of a copy with a big IGN watermark stuck somewhere on it. You know what I mean? Um, and then a bunch of stuff that, you know, was never broadcast anywhere. Like fun stuff. Like we have a, a tour of like Nintendo's, a little company museum that used to be in the Redwood offices and a 1080p version of the Microsoft uh, press conference from 2009, which looks like 10 times better than any other version that's online. So we're just trying to get through it and basically digitize as much of anything with any historical value whatsoever. Um, so if you go to youtube.com slash at nocliparchive, uh, you can go check out some videos. My personal favorite so far is the uh, Behind Closed Doors presentation for Knights of the Old Republic in 2000, which was before the game was even announced. Uh, oh, hell yeah. And it shows a very different version of that game than what eventually came out. But such is games development. Extremely cool. Uh, well, yeah, you can. And where can people... Send their money. Where can they? Oh, pay, patreon.com slash noclip. But uh, you should, you, you guys should sort, sort you guys out. Fledgling, <laughs> fledgling I, industry I is like I agree. Cancel map. your noclip subscription and like get over here and make sure that we're set to go. Uh, and then we can figure it out later. But no, uh, exactly. I'm uh, always excited by the stuff that you're getting up to. Uh, and we're, we're, we're happy to, to join you in this little independent quest. Um, awesome and thanks so much for having me it's a lot of fun it's always fun catching up and absolutely nice fun talking i gotta talk to rob about a different sport for two hours later today so there you just go warms me up perfect <laughs> that show just got so easy though it i was did. like like literally last <laughs> night i was doing like f1 news stories and i was like man nothing there's nothing nothing happened this morning it's like we got a Boom. show fellas yeah go check out shift f1 if you like formula one podcasts Excellent. Uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Patrick Klupik. You can sign up for my parenting and gaming newsletter crossplay at patrickklupik.substack.com. Rob, what's going on? 
Uh, yeah, I'm just hanging out at Remap Radio. You know, we're doing shows. We got some good episodes on the bear uh, that we put together. Kato's on break, but when they come back, we're going to finish the bear. I've now watched the rest of the series. I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, I will also say, li- listen, we're not averse to corporate sponsorship. Like, think about, think about like how excited you'd be to get a promotion for a good VPN, for instance. You could watch that <laughs> hurling final. If there's any VPN right. companies right. that might be interested in making that dream come true for uh, American listeners. You know, by all means, uh, Remap Radio is open for business. Maybe, maybe some, maybe some dietary supplements to enhance Ooh. yourself. You know, <laughs> well, so that's one of those things where I, I don't know. I don't know my comfort level with the do your own research, gang. Uh, I don't know. These supplements seem cool. I bet you, I would feel better if I took them. I don't, but I can imagine where they would be helpful. I don't know. That's the, per- that's, that's the personal the endorsement that the advertiser was asking for. <laughs> I don't know if I'd take this, but maybe it'll work for you. That's the Remap Radio. The Remap Radio promise. Uh, well, again, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, until next time, fuck capitalism and bear down.